Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning, good morning and welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop and this is my second last week of getting up pre-dawn to stand in for Pam Vardy who's taking far too long to come back from northern Italy. I think she might have taken a wrong turn in Verona or something. Today I'm sharing the studio with two talented and knowledgeable guys who have spent a great deal of their lives sharing their horticultural expertise with others. Firstly, we have the Manager of Horticulture at the Royal Botanic Gardens, Cranbourne, John Arnott. And secondly, someone who can probably identify a plant from having a leaf waved in front of his nose while blindfolded, the owner of, of Dixonia rare plant, Stephen Ryan. Good morning to you both. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. That's a shot. Yeah, I don't know about that uh, waving it blindfolded, but I tell you what, I get an awful lot of uh, curly ones that come my way these days because we don't really have a garden advisory service anymore. No. And so people still need help. Uh, and so I regularly get emails from people with pictures of something in their garden that they don't know what it is or some plant they saw on holidays. I really hate it when they send me something from tropical Fiji or something. <laughs> then, then I'm in real trouble. Um, and um, um, But it, it's actually good fun. I quite enjoy doing the plant ID thing. The research, thing. yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you know, yeah. sometimes yeah. you'll see a, a photo of something and you think, oh, you know, I've got this sort of thing in the back of my head that I sort of know where it comes from or or what I could sort of pick it down to family, family. level or mm. something. Or funnily enough, I don't know what it is and I don't know whether other people's brains work this way, but if I've come across a plant at some stage or another and, and I've seen the name, somehow or another the first letter of the name often sticks in my head. That's it. You know, so I'll say, I'm sure that thing starts yeah. with a G. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it, no matter what it is, it just gives you that little something <laughs> to start with. And, I mean, I've been completely... Um, Bamboozled Yeah, completely yep. sometimes oh, yep. You know, we all have had. to be I mean, there's far too many plants in the world uh, For us to know them all But I don't get tricked all that often You know, and if it's not a plant I know well I'll do the little bit of research And, and, and try and find out And generally can pin most things down to a genus yep. Which is good There are plants that you can identify by blindfold blind <laughs> yeah, Well, there are <laughs> Smell or something the, the, yeah, That's yeah, right yeah. Yes, yeah. if somebody holds Or the feel um, of a leaf or, yeah, well, yeah, well, things like um, uh, Ruta graviola That would for do it and say, You know, that, there's a plant you don't need to actually see <laughs> Yes Because uh, the smell of it, I mean it and cats have quite a bit in common, I reckon. Oh, no. uh, it's, I've got one in the garden at home, and I can't remember what species it is, but it isn't the normal... Um, graviolans. Graviolans. It's a little trailing one. And every time I brush past it, this incredibly pungent smell comes up from it. It's one of those smells, once you've smelt it, you'd know the genus from miles away. Yeah. <laughs> Can you grow Eupermatia in the hills? The, I the haven't Coppola? tried it, I have to oh, say. That might be a chance. Yeah. It, it, I identified that from about 300 metres from the Royal Botanic Gardens, Melbourne. It's a wafter, mm. um, and its scent can waft uh, like hundreds of metres, hundreds and hundreds of metres. And it's a really interesting, um, uh, really interesting, quite mm. a sweet smell, quite a beautiful thing. Which is a bit different from Rutographia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what was the one you were talking about, John? It's called the Copper Laurel, Eupermatia oh, uh, okay, yep. Lorena, which yep. is a, a East Coast, just comes into Victoria, mm-hmm. rainforest plant. Really glossy, sort of a camellia-like at a glance until you have a, a good close look at the flowers. So a shrub. It's a shrub, uh, shrub small yep. tree. Yeah. Yeah, but yep. literally can waft 
many hundreds of metres away from the, the source. And do you, you think that's got to be a some sort of pollination strategy to to lure? Oh, absolutely. Well, you would the imagine so. Yeah. And it's probably up there for the Guinness Book of Records yeah. longest <laughs> longest wafting perfumed yeah. plant in the world or something. I mean, there's a, there's a record for everything. Did you uh, did you get into Melbourne and see the Titan? Um, I uh, didn't see it flower this, this year, but no, I did see it last time. No. That's one that you could identify with your eyes closed. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, and not that you really want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it does go to show that plants aren't there just for our benefit. They're there for their own benefits. Indeed. And, uh, and some of those plants, like the, the Titan lily and uh, those things that are pollinated by less savoury creatures, um, you know, it just shows that they're all out there struggling for survival and finding their own techniques, and it, it, it all adds to the fascination for me. Do all of those amorphophilus have the carrion smell? I think they do. Yeah, or pretty the majority well. Do. Yeah. There, there are one or two that don't. Right. Um, but nearly all of them, and, and it varies in level. I mean, some of them don't smell that much at all. Okay. Hard to pick up a smell from, but there's one or two pretty coloured ones, uh, and there's one that was found in the Philippines by Basil Natoli, Basil, yeah. and I don't think that's a stinky one. I've got a sense that Basil told me that it actually has a sweet perfume. That's good because you couldn't associate Basil in a rotten smell. Could you? Well, you really such a couldn't, man. and it has been named after him, so it is now um, uh, Amorphophallus Natolii. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Um, yes. The 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 expert from Germany on the genus, right. uh, because Basil found it, um, uh, decided to, well, commemorate his family because Basil's got Filipino um, adopted children. That's right, yeah. Uh, and so it sort of connects with his whole family in the Philippines and all that sort of thing. So it's really quite a nice thing to have happen. What They'll a... name some dreadful thing after me if they ever do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've got a couple of wacky ideas for, for gardens that I'll do before I pull up my horticultural stumps. And one is a, a horrider garden. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so anything with a, with a species name. Horrida. And the other one is a, a, a floral clock, mm. but a floral clock which is not a clock which has got hands like what you'd see on St Kilda, yeah. things of, a garden of plants that flower at different times of the year, nice. which I think would be pretty nice. Yeah. So but, you can have a garden that with flowers all through the year? Uh, flowers, uh, flowers open or close at various times during the day. Yeah. So you've got the sort of moth pollinated things which are in the middle of the night and... Um, oh, what time yeah. is it? Oh, it, it's, it's nighttime cactus time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you'd set your clock. Box. No, no, but it would be fun, wouldn't it? Um, but I was just jumping on that horrid idea. Yeah. Well, the, there was a famous horticulturalist in England who had a garden he called his lunatic asylum. <laughs> uh, and he had smelly plants, weird shaped plants, uh, vicious looking plants, yes. any, anything like that. And he called it the lunatic asylum. And, and so all of his weird stuff went into that part of the garden. And that's always fascinated me, the idea of doing that. Although I have to say my own garden possibly could almost cover that uh, in some ways. I remember at the East Egg Hunt, one of my nieces said, why have you got so many prickly plants, Uncle Stephen? And why are all the Easter eggs in those ones? Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. Coming back with bleeding hands yeah, that's right. Things like poyas on the corner of paths and things at my place do seem to raise the ire of certain small children. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I like plants with character. Yeah, I do too. And they don't all have to be pretty, pretty. No. You know, so I think, you know, to have plants... Well, the cues that queued up to see the Titan Lily when it was in flower... Yep goes to show that, you know, people do appreciate the odd still. I mean, once upon a time, botanic gardens and zoos were all about the weird, the strange, the odd. You know, they'd have the five-legged sheep and the yeah. whatever. Um, and it was to engage people. Nowadays, you do all that on the internet. But mm. um, yeah. nonetheless, there's still people out there who want to engage with things in the flesh and see them in real life. Isn't that the lovely thing about our gardens is that 
um, I mean, the internet has a role in communicating about mm. gardens. Oh, absolutely, and giving us a lot of knowledge. Certainly, but virtual reality, we can have reality reality in gardens. You know, we don't yeah. have to... Which is something of a challenge for some modern people, the reality reality. <laughs> oh, boy, I, I caught a train the other day and 90% of the people sitting on the train was looking at a screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It is one way to cut yourself off from all your neighbours. <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. Uh, but, yeah, look, I think plants like the Amorphophallus and, and, and any of those sort of weird, strange, interesting plants, um, I like to have them in my garden for lots of reasons. One is they entertain me, hmm. although I don't think I'll ever grow a Titan lily in my garden, although I've got other Amorphophallus I'm in sure the garden. I'm sure you do. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, some of the colder, hardy ones. Yeah. Um, and I explain it that I'm not an axe murderer because I've got a stinky lily in my garden. <laughs> it has nice foliage, you know, so you can always, always use some other asset of the plant. Um, but um, I think those sort of things are fabulous because I grow them and enjoy them and I learn something from these plants. And then other people will comment. I mean, if I had a garden that was full of, I don't know, standard iceberg roses, white gravel, box hedging, perhaps some James Sterling potosperms along the boundary, yep. the only thing people could say about a garden like that is, isn't it neat? Mm. There is no education, there's no learning, it's just a neat garden. Yeah. Whereas in a garden where you've got interesting <clears throat> plants, people will come in, they'll go, my God, what's that? Yeah. And that's a win-win situation because you get to teach somebody something and you also get to look smart. Yep. Uh, so people learn, you, you learn from people asking you stuff. I mean, that's what gardening should be. Yeah. I, I was in um, uh, Lindhurst, which is in the city of Casey, not far from the gardens, and it's a, a riding through a new... Um, uh, estate, mm-hmm. uh, and the you know they put the the the, uh, the initial house up, which is the um, oh yeah the, dem- the display the, the display, display house. house yes. And so I stopped and had a look at the garden, and it, what you described with the the gravel and the James Sterlings, and, and it, it was that. Except it wasn't grass; it was actually plastic grass. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, well that's taking it to a new level. <laughs> and cordy lines, I think they're uh, all the right lines to go, are in there. And, and, yeah. and yes, monocot monotony yeah. is and, called. And yeah. the sign that I it was the first time I was compelled to. Um, do graffiti. Sure, <laughs> Arnett, and you admitted it on t- on radio. <laughs> the sign in front of the house said, "And when you move in, your garden will look as good as this." <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, yeah, I can think of all the sorts of things That's you right. could say. There are lots of bylines point. in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. You poor souls. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or really, with a big yeah, question yeah, mark yeah. or exclamation mark. One thing I want to ask you about, Stephen, which you mentioned earlier, garden advisory service. We mm. used to have one of those. We mm. did. We it was run via Bird. Uh, in fact, Alan Gilbert was one of the oh. uh, people who used to work there at yep. the Garden Advisory yep. Service. He did that for many, many years. And it was a fantastic asset. I mean, people knew that they could ring that. And if they had a bug on something or if they couldn't ID something or uh, they had a soil issue or a weed problem or whatever, they could ring the Garden Advisory Service and they would get knowledgeable people who would give them the answers. And some of the students used to come in. It used to be part of their course, really, to mm. go into the Garden Advisory Service and help out. Because if you don't know, yeah. you, you, follow, have to, you have yeah. to follow it up and get yeah. the phone yeah. number and, follow, and provide an answer. Yeah. It was a fantastic thing. Yeah. Mm. And, and how, just, how long did that go for? Oh, God, it was oh, there for years. years. Yeah, it was there for a long, long time. And, and it was just another one of these government sort of cost-saving uh, exercises. Of, it was another one of these things that just faded into the background. Mm. You know, there was no, no last meeting of um, the uh, – what we were called the Garden State, and there was the Garden State Committee. Yeah. The Garden State Committee never actually had a meeting that says we're, we're no longer going to be in business. So they never had a close-out meeting. It just, That's sad. So we're no just, longer the Garden State. 
Well, we in theory, we we no yeah. we well, we might no longer be, but we were never not in a way no, because no. they didn't mm. they didn't they, close they, it up. It was, it was never formally closed. There was never there was so no, you could no, say we still are. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> the last minutes of the last meeting in nineteen eighty six or something oh, along those lines, God. but it was never formally closed. Right. Yeah. Well, with, I mean, with the amount of open gardens and everything still going on around the place, we really are still the garden state, aren't we? I, I roll this out a few times when I come into three CR. Uh, uh, the by eighteen seventy there were twenty one regional botanic gardens in Victoria. New South Wales had one, Queensland had one, Tasmania had one, and there were 21 regional botanic gardens in Victoria. That's the garden state. Yeah, Absolutely. It is. And that was, about, um, that was about gold. That was, you know, so places like Kyneton, Malmesbury, Ballarat, Ballarat Bendigo, yeah. yep. Castlemaine, mm-hmm. and so on, yeah. um, you know, were centres of, of gold fossicking. Uh, and they were really rich places at, at, at various So when they times. weren't digging for gold, they were planting gardens by the Well, sense. it was an express trying to... They didn't have an, telly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there, there is an element of that. Yeah. But Mechanics Institute, big library and a botanic garden, it was a measure of the 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 um, maturity or yeah. the, the And it was the, a the civic pride world, thing, was well-being. it? Yeah, civic you know, they, pride. Yeah, they were, they were pride. really proud of what they were accomplishing. Yeah. And the way to show it in those days was, in fact, to have the mechanics hall, uh, to have a botanic gardens, yeah. you know, and, and all those things showed that you were a civilised... Um, well community. Yeah, yeah. good community. Yeah. Um, these days, our botanic gardens are see, often seem to be seen as space that you can put something else in, mm. you know, which is a bit good. frightening. Although yeah. that seems to have turned a corner. Kyneton. Yes, Kyneton. They had a caravan park in their in their botanic gardens. Horrifyingly, I mean, might have been a nice environment for those oh, living in the caravans. Would have been beautiful. Um, and for years, it was this sort of hot potato that none of the. I mean, at the time when we had um, the councils were all being amalgamated and we mm. had commissioners in place, yep. they almost closed it down at that point. The caravan park. The caravan park. Really? Uh, and but there was huge brouhaha about it, and because there were a few permanent residents in there, and so yep. they kicked up a stink about where are we going. Yeah. Um, the other issue that nobody really thought about at the time was a lot of the trees needed surgery and they couldn't do it with the caravans parked <laughs> underneath them. So there was actually a, quite a, a, a serious um, risk. safety risk yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in having that caravan park where it was. Eventually they closed it down, got it out. The Kyneton Botanic Gardens has taken on a new lease of life. They've got a friends group that's up and running and doing good stuff. Good, uh, they're replanting. Um, in fact, uh, some of the gardeners from, uh, from the Shire were in my nursery the other day picking out some shrubs for some of the borders up at the Kyneton Botanic Gardens to add a little bit of oomph to, that's fantastic. to the range. It's... You know, it's become a hub again and, you know, they have events in there and all sorts of things happening. And that one, like many of these others, have got bits of Guilfoyle, they've got bits of Von Mueller. I mean, their history is really, really rich. Yeah, it is rich. Um, And it would be a shame to see them not looked after. Mm, Well, I think, I mean, having so many um, regional gardens and botanic gardens must filter down into our subconscious. Our psyche. Yeah, absolutely. And and perhaps that's why Melburnians really do enjoy their gardens for the most part. You know, whereas if you go to Sydney and, and some other states, people really don't give a damn or they don't seem to give a damn about their gardens, about having something nice, especially wandering around Sydney. They're just a mess. Yeah. Mm. You know? Yeah, there's not the same garden ethos. No. That's uh, it. And, and I think it is a lot about, you know, our history and what have you here. I mean, Melbourne City itself, I mean, we've got so many beautiful and diverse parks. Uh, Absolutely. You know, from sort of the Botanic Gardens through to places like Royal Park. Yeah. You know, all these yeah. quite diverse parks around the city. Yeah. Um, and you do see people get a bit annoyed now if somebody, you know, I mean, the East-West Link, for instance, say, was going to cut into Royal Park. And that was, I think, one of the things that really got people worked up. Absolutely. Um, mm. As oh. it should. As it should. 
it, mm. I mean, that's right. That's it's that incremental loss of parkland. Mm. You chip away, you chip away, you chip mm. away. And, well, and yeah. look, when you look at Royal Park, I mean, dare I say anything against the Children's Hospital? But that was sort of dumped into the edge of the park. You know, nobody said anything about it. Yep. Um, but have you seen that new garden that's there? Isn't that insane? Yeah, that's, oh, na- nature play or yeah, nature share? At, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's that's going to be a really interesting place. They have got tight ropes there for kids. You know, they're three meters above the ground. Fantastic. It's brilliant. They're only trying to drum up custom, obviously. Exactly. That's exactly (laughs) what Ray said. He's just the doctors have sponsored that one. (laughs) But it's just so wonderful. I went there last week. Well, I actually went there during the week and I had a dog with me at the time, so I couldn't jump any of, any of the equipment because yeah. um, dog was on a lead. I thought, oh, I have to go back on the weekend so I can go on this one particular swing. Yeah. Of course, I went back on the weekend and there's probably 50,000 people there. And I yeah. thought, oh, I've got to stand in line with all these kids to get on that swing. Yeah. It's very and, frustrating. And look, at, look an absolute knob. Yeah. <laughs> I don't worry about that. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's, no, that's a really – that's, that's – um, a, a wonderful space. Yeah, mm. and and all natives. All natives. Yeah, and um, lots of quite challenging bits of we'll call them play, play equipment, equipment or, yeah. or opportunities. And for, even for the kids. you know a huge um, sort of surround of, of, of boulders, huge boulders yeah. for kids to jump on, Rock and off. really steep slides. Like I was kind of looking at them, thinking, "Crikey, this is a bit steep!" And these little two-year-olds were jumping down with you know nary a worry because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's it's all about that risk benefit. Oh yeah, isn't it? brilliant. Yeah. Because we, um, I think we're turning that corner in in that risk adverse in in public landscapes. Well, we have to. I mean, it got to the point where they were dragging out kiddies' playgrounds everywhere because they were frightened the council was going to get sued. Mm. And you think, for goodness sake, can't people take some responsibility for their own actions? If you let your child go on a swing and it falls off, it's not the council's fault. No. Gravity works. Yeah, I I just can't quite see how you can then blame somebody else. I mean, you take the risk yourself. And so it's good to see that, you know, people are allowing children to... To play. I mean, if my mother found out half the things I did before I got to 10 years old, she would have been horrified. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I spent half my life in a tree. Yeah, well, I, I, you know? I climbed every <laughs> playing, tall playing tree. Playing chasey from yeah. tree, tump, tree to tree, oh, no, you yeah. know, not even going down to the ground. And, yeah. yeah. Well, yes. we grew up in Frankston, and it was the old um, home farmstead. And I think, I don't know this, but I think the owner of the place at the time must have had a relationship or had staff that worked at the Botanic Garden and they acquired plants through the Botanic Garden because there was, um, you know, a huge great big ginkgo, a great big purple beech, some really interesting, interesting yeah. trees, a, a cassonia yeah. of all things, but lots and lots of trees. And I spent my, so many hours just climbing in trees. Yeah, and and, and, and and different trees were there for different moods almost. Like the really easy tree just to sit back in and chill yeah. was, was one thing, but you're feeling... The challenge much, tree. The challenge tree. Yeah, yeah. And there was the how can I get any higher past my personal best up in this yeah. tree, that sort of thing. <laughs> I have to say, like for um, for climbing trees, I mean, eucalypts really don't cut it, do they? Not, not quite. No, <laughs> no we, we did not have a, the European trees. We did have a lemon-scented gum and that was really challenging yeah, because yeah. of big distances between the branches because you, you kind of had to shimmy up and be prepared to have this coating of white all over the place. <laughs> and a couple your of huntsmen on your head. Actually, I liked uh, one of my favourite trees to climb as a child, and we had a lot of them up around our way with the Douglas firs. Oh, beautiful. Because they're like step oh, ladders. absolutely. They're fantastic. Yeah, and cheating. we had some seriously big ones, and yeah. I used to challenge myself to get up as high as I possibly could, right up onto that sort of wobbly <laughs> bit, right up at the top. Yeah. And you'd be 80 or 100 feet up yeah, in the air. Yep. You know, I mean, if the top had broken out or if I'd slipped, 
God knows, you know. Children's hospital. Yeah, well, easily. Or, or, or the local or, mass or cemetery, worse, yes. yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, look, it is. It's all part of growing up. I mean, I can remember hanging from several fingers off Camel's Hump, mm. um, really? trying to scramble around up on there when I was a kid. Um, I went barefoot ice skating on one of our one of our lakes up at Mount Macedon when I was a kid because we had this cold winter one year where we had about four drops of snow over a fortnight with really heavy frosts in between, and our reservoir froze over with about a, a foot of ice. Is that true? It. Really? Yep, it did. And I was in late primary school, so I would have been about ten. Um, and I and a mate went up and we found this reservoir completely frozen over with dead possums in it and, and snowflakes that had blown up, yeah, right. you know, to show their actual shape. I still oh, remember that. It was amazing. And being a kid, I thought, wow, ice skating. Took off my shoes and socks <laughs> oh my God. and went scooting across the reservoir. Um, and if you fell on your ass, these big cracks would go. And... I was so excited and I got home and I said to mum, you'll never believe what we've been doing. And I told her and and it was the one time where my mother really turned around and gave me the biggest clout. She was so frightened by what I'd done. Um, Obviously, I survived it, but nonetheless, she was just so frightened by it. She gave me a whack around the ear and said, don't you ever do that again. Um, But yeah, so there you go. So I did some seriously dangerous stuff as a kid. It's a wonder I'm here. Um, Yeah, but for the grace of God, go us. But I still remember scooting across this ice and there were these older people. I think they might have been teenagers walking along the outside. And I'm saying, come on, come on in. And they're not, and you know, they were wusses. Way too cool for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I reckon they were wusses. They just wouldn't do it. So probably wisely, because if we'd all been out there, we would have all gone under probably Absolutely. <laughs> wow. so yeah so that was an exciting year and i don't need another one of those in a hurry by crikey it was has cold. that happened since that no, the rest? no. no I, it's never happened since and i don't know when it happened before it was just one of those years uh and there was icicles hanging off trees it was like european Canada. christmas cards yeah it was that much stuff around and, you know the snow was you know a good two feet deep and Amazing. crunchy because it had had so many frosts on it, so yeah. you sort of crunch through the snow. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was amazing as a child to, to, yeah. to have that. And, yeah, I must have been about 10, so that was a long time ago. So it would have been probably late 60s, okay. I guess. I don't remember what year it was exactly, but it was it stuck in my mind as an amazing year. And walking up Mount Macedon Road, all these little um, things like... Um, Prostranthra lassianthos and things that had this weight of snow on right. them. Mm. And you'd be walking along as quiet as anything you hear. Snap! Yeah. As, as these things would just give way. And, yeah, and, under the weight of the snow. Yeah, under the weight of the snow. And uh, and you'd look across and there's this whole branch would come crashing down out of the trees and Maybe. stuff. And deadly quiet. Yeah. Uh, you know, because when you get a decent snowfall, it is. It's so incredibly quiet. Just mm. absorbs um, all the noise. And, you know, probably one of the few times that anybody could have gone skiing on Mount Macedon. <laughs> <laughs> and probably people did. Yeah. Uh, I I know my dad got a sled out one year and uh, and went down Cameron Drive that goes up to the cross at the right, top that's uh, on a sled. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, so we have had those winters, but not for a long time. Yeah. But isn't it amazing what you remember doing in the garden as a kid? Mm-hmm. You know, and how how it sticks with you now. Oh, yeah. You know, I spent so many hours pulling plants apart. You know, flowers and seed pods and whatnot. And I, I mean, I can still remember all that now. As long as you didn't pop fuchsia buds, <laughs> I'm sure I that did. That was something my grandmother used to <laughs> get really bi- annoyed about. And the busy lizzies. Yes, busy lizzies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah stood, stood for ages popping all them. Yeah, the, the little spring loaded. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were great fun. Yeah, you know, a plant that was sort of interactive. Yeah, I'm you know, sure I wouldn't be as patient with kids doing the same thing in the garden that I, I was allowed to do back then. You know, my both my grandparents were really happy for me to pull anything apart and mm. 
Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? But we at, at the Geelong Botanic Gardens, we developed a, a, a sort of a play space, which was a bit of a hybrid between a, a traditional playground and a children's garden, elements of both. Uh, and um, uh, the day, the weekend after we opened, we inspected it on, on the Monday morning and went in, and there was we looked at a, a, a casuarina, and it had been completely stripped. And we assumed that that casuarina stripping was vandalism, until we walked around the corner and had a look into the playground and. Um, the, all the little casuarina um, shoots were arranged in this forest. There was a little yeah. miniature forest sitting in the in the in the sandpit. So it wasn't vandalism; it was actually engagement. But you know, it didn't inter- do the casuarina. <laughs> <much laughs> I didn't do the casuarina any good. <laughs> no, but, uh, but kids do that. I remember doing that as a child, making little mountains, little forests, and, yep. and putting little bits of yeah, conifer or yep, something yeah, in, yeah, and yeah. making trees, and yeah, yeah. you know, little roadways and things, and playing with my matchbox cars and yeah. all that sort of stuff. I remember doing that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and it was great fun. Who yeah. needs a doll doll's house when you can be when, outside and, and yeah. do you, and yeah. make your own? Making bird hides and all those yeah. exciting yeah. things. We've got a lovely activity which just it'll it's still going. It'll be going for the next couple. Couple of weeks. It's uh, build your own bar. Oh, hut. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, is it at both Melbourne and Cranbourne? I. It's certainly at Cranbourne. Cranbourne. Yeah. I should know. Look, I wouldn't be surprised if it's at, at both Melbourne and Cranbourne, but I, I don't know that. But it's certainly at Cranbourne. Yeah. And basically, what it is is there's just all this bark which is left on the ground, mm. and some you know some, some sticks and and a little sign saying "Feel free to build your own bark hut." Mm. It's not. There's no instructions as to how you might go about it, and. Every day there's a different bar cut or a different. Yeah. I want to go in there and see the Taj Mahal bar cut. <laughs> there, there are some very, there is, there are some They'll very have to go and build it, Stephen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. some people could be quite um, there, adventurous. There and, are, and, and are there any clever. tools there to use? No, no. So, so it's all by just, hand. It's just yeah. all just. And loo- what's loose the ground materials. like where it is? Uh, gravel, flat, okay. flat gravel. Okay, so, so it's a it's a space in the Northern Display Gardens that we decided to not have a garden but just have a void. Um, just a gravel patch, and that gravel patch p- could be used for a whole range of different things, yeah. um, activities such as such as that. So Fantastic. it's a really nice thing. It's and and a, I suppose you get to go around every night and knock knock it down. Uh, which seems a bit of a shame. Which does because some of them are particularly good. Yeah. Um, most of them are, are variations on a TP. Yeah. Um, because there's limited amounts of structural wood. Um, but, but yeah, the most most of them are TPs. Is but the gravel some, deep enough to push sticks into? Uh, no, okay. no, it's, so quite, it's got to it's be quite, sort of just freestanding. freestanding. Yeah, yeah. 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 But oh, that I, love, like, I hope you've taken some photos of some of the good ones. We have good, yeah, <laughs> yeah. a really lovely activity. And what bark have you used? Um, various eucalypts. Yeah, but some of the really thick. Yeah, lovely. Um, uh, structural, almost. It'll yeah, some of the thick, um, some of the stringy barks and yeah. And some of that bark is really thick. I mean, it's almost yeah. wood in itself, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, really thick. Yeah. yeah, wonderful. So it's a lovely activity. It's going certainly in, until the end of autumn. Yeah, so another couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah wonderful. Fantastic. Just and any adults, uh, you know, having uh, a bit of a play. You or can't keep the, the adults. Oh, yeah. can't keep them away. <laughs> Good to yeah. hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, they are family activities. Guess all the friends volunteers are there. They're, they're not leading them around the garden. Johnny, I'll show you. How <laughs> I'll show you. No, 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 that's not going to be structurally sound, mate. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, I can see all the dads. Oh well, I suppose we should get on to some community announcements. Should we? Seeing as both the boys have managed to find their glasses, it's really. Good. <laughs> <Somebody else. laughs> All right. Well, I'll, um, uh, today we've got the Maribyrnong Orchid Society, 
uh, autumn show, and it uh, was on yesterday. But, uh, yeah, today um, at the Maribyrnong Community Centre, Randall Street in Maribyrnong from 9 o'clock to 4 o'clock. Um, autumn show special for today, buy one entry and get one free. Oh, actually, no, that's on presentation of this pamphlet. So unless you want to come into 3CR and pick up the pamphlet or you have your own. Um, okay, and also Penny Woodward has got her Herbs and Pest Repellent Plants Masterclass on today. Okay. And uh, that's at <clears throat> St Earth from 11 o'clock till 3 o'clock. Um, includes a light lunch and a glass of wine. Um, members 65 and non-members 75. I assume that's Digger's members. Um, $65 and, yeah, non-members $75. Um, and you can, if you need more information, that's... Five nine eight four seven nine double zero. Okay, with the um, this looks like a cracking day. It's the Australian Garden History Society are presenting a one day seminar, which is called Trees, Natural and Cultural Values, and that's on the twenty ninth of May two thousand and fifteen. Uh, the venue I'm just looking for here. Let's have oh, a look. I think that's at the um, State Library. State Library. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, Really interesting-looking program for this one here. So the whole day of talking about um, trees. Greg Moore's opening the batting, as as you as you can as imagine. You would expect, yeah. Yes. Um, Greg's going to be Mr. talking tree. about Mr. Tree. <laughs> trees in the herbal battlegrown. Oh. I thought I might urban see your name there, John. No, no. I'm, no, no. I, I think I'm going to attend this one. Yeah, it looks this good, looks doesn't re- it? This looks yeah. really good. So a bunch of eminent um, speakers. We've got Lyndall Plant from the University of Queensland, Tony Hall from Griffith University, Stuart Reid, who's the chair of. Sydney um, branch of the AGHS, Tim Entwistle from the Botanic Gardens, Professor Tim, Yvonne Lynch from the City of Melbourne talking about the fantastic urban street strategy strategy at the City of Melbourne, Roger Jones from Victoria University, Jessica Hood from Monash, uh, it's a who's who of the tree, tree world. Um, for members of the Australian Garden History Society, it's 160 bucks. For non-members, it's 200 bucks, And for students, it's $60. Well, there's something to branch out to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> 29th of May, Friday 29th of May at the State Library. That looks fantastic. I'm going to yep, register. Yeah, it looks good, doesn't it? <laughs> it looks really good. Uh, on the 5th of June, we've got uh, the Australian Plants, Plant Society Keelor uh, Plains Group. Um, and there's a talk on garden design by garden designer um, Carolyn Blackman. Um, meeting commences at 7.50. Uh, the contact here is uh, 9.366. Three double two eight, and that's the Keelor Plains uh, Australian Plant Society talk on Friday the fifth of June. Carolyn Blackman, and uh, another day event. It's the Gardener's Day Out, um, which is uh, hosted by. Let me have a look here. Oh, RHSV. RHE. Oh, Royal yeah. Hort Society of Victoria Gardener's mm-hmm. Day Out, um, Saturday June thirteenth. Uh, uh, a whole day of, again, look fantastic looking species. Graham and Sandra Ross from Better Homes and Gardens. Uh, 2020 Vision, which is uh, talking about trees again. Uh, gardening at all angles, so vertical and other planes, gardening on, on lots of different planes. Um, there's some awards. The program commences at 9.30. Entrance is $10, and that is at RHS. And again, where is it? Oh, that's at Rusden Theatre, Deakin University, Burwood. Don't you think that's really good value? Ten dollars for a whole day yeah. of, of talks and information. It's madness. I think I need to talk to them yeah. about their finances. <laughs> <It> looks, <laughs> no, that, and again, it looks like a really great program. So that's the thirteenth of June, RHS at uh, Rusden Theatre, Deakin Uni, Burwood. Mm. 
All right, well, I've got a couple here. Now, this one doesn't have a cost that I can find anywhere, but Matt Murray's coming down from New South Wales, and he's going to be talking for the Bulb Society on the 27th of May, and he's going to be talking about crocuses. So okay. if anybody's interested in the genus crocus, I'm sure if you just rolled up, it won't be expensive if there is a charge at all. It'll only be 5 or 10 bucks or something like that. Um, the time is 8 p.m. It's at the Whitehorse Horticultural Centre, 82 Jollymont Road, Vermont. Uh, and I've heard Matt speak before, and he's a really entertaining and engaging speaker. And crocus are a fascinating group of little bulbous plants mm. from the Northern Hemisphere that uh, many of us could grow if we only thought to put them in. Lots but, of diversity in crocus. Yeah, yeah. And, there, and a lot, you know, there are some really cold climate ones that do need the winter chill and all that thing like some of the tulips need but there's plenty of mediterranean species that actually should grow perfectly well for home gardeners around melbourne um you know the things like thomasinianus from the dalmatian coast should be an should easy be crocus yeah. you know, probably self-seed itself all over the place so uh so that should be a really really interesting talk Great. Um, hey Stephen, is uh, saffron in is that a crocus yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. crocus sativa yeah. um uh, the saffron crocus which is one of the autumn flowering species is the one that has the long orange filaments that they remove for the for saffron, which is has been one of the world's most important um, spices over the years. And I mean, expensive. Yeah, well, yeah. At, at times it's been more expensive than gold. Mm. Um, and one can understand why when you consider how many flowers one has to decapitate to get one gram of saffron. Um, so that's the pollen. Yeah, it's, a, it's the pollen. It's the, the stamens. It's the stamens that yeah. uh, you, you take off uh, of that particular crocus. And I've actually got a friend in Kilmore who's got a couple of um, sleeper beds full of saffron crocus. Yeah. And his saffron is sold every year uh, before he even harvests. Um, and he reckons he makes enough to pay all his rates. Wonderful. Out of just a couple of beds so of a saffron. A couple of sleeper beds would make how much? Like a couple of matchbox full? Uh, more? No, more? look, a little more than that. I think he, I think he gets something like half a kilo or half something a kilo. Of, wow. of saffron. That's every impressive. Year. It must be worth putting a bed in, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, Cash crop. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it would be fiddly, but you'd decapitate the flowers. You'd just take the whole flower off and then you'd stand up to remove the stamens out. I can't imagine you're plucking the stamens out of ground level. No. Um, uh, so it'd be a fiddly job to do, but it'd be a once a year job. You yeah. collect your your stamens, you dry them out uh, and... Make a couple hundred bucks yeah, or more. Yeah, and there you go. Yeah, so that sounds like fun. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, moving on. Um, most importantly from my aspect is, of course, that this next coming weekend, the one that I don't have to come down here for, um, so that's the 30th and 31st of May. Uh, we mentioned this last time I was down. My garden is going to be open. So Tagurium in Centenary Avenue, Macedon, uh, from 10 to 4.30 on both Saturday and Sunday. And it's the very last opening for Open Gardens Australia. Ah, so uh, it's, it's a, quite yeah, a moment. It is a moment. It's sort of <laughs> sad, but it's also, I'm quite excited by the fact that I've ended up sort of serendipitously. It wasn't something that was done intentionally, but I've ended up with the very last opening for the scheme. That's appropriate. And I've had a, a long association with the scheme. Uh, this is apparently my 35th opening. Is that right? Because um, some years I did two openings plus a personal perspective thing in the garden. Okay. So, yeah, so I've built up quite a... Quite a few openings over the years, um, and you know, never fear, we will have a garden scheme, but it'll be something different, and it'll be a Victorian-based one in due course. But I'd like to go out with a bang, folks. Yeah. So I would like as many people as possible to come to 8 Centenary Avenue next weekend uh, to have a look around my late autumn garden and see what a garden can still look like at this time of the year, and as long as we don't get a heavy frost, it should look really good. Um, but... I'm one of those gardeners that does sort of push the barriers a bit, and so I'm always inclined to grow things that 
that I know I can come unstuck with occasionally. <laughs> uh, and I have had openings where, you know, we've had the, the corker frost the week before and all the plectranthus have gone black. The Abyssinian bananas have turned to sludge. Uh, uh, the the Brugmansias and the Wigandias have all shed their leaves. Uh, and... Yeah, now you talk about a horror garden. <laughs> it could have happened just on its own accord in my case. Um, but you were saying you still have a, a red Brugmansia in flower uh, hanging on? Yeah. yeah. Uh, look, as long as we don't get a frost between now and next Saturday, uh, in which case all its flowers will drop off. Uh, in fact, I've got a red one and a yellow one, both in flower together at the moment, and they look absolutely stunning. And it, the forecast looks okay. Does it look Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It depends on whose forecast you're reading. I've yeah, become a bit true. addicted to I read these the best one. Net, yeah, yes, yes, these ones <laughs> the on the one net. The one that I want the most. Yeah, and, and, and you do. You, you go in and somebody will say eight degrees and blizzards, you know, and then yeah. somebody else will say 15 and fine. Yeah. And you yeah. think, oh, come on now, guys. At least you can get together and give me a similar yeah. forecast. Uh, but, yeah, look, I think it'll be all right. And, look, gardeners are gardeners. Uh, um, the wusses might back out if it's really a bit on the bleak side. But, you know, keen gardeners, I'm hoping, will be there. And it'll cost you eight bucks, and if you're under 18, you get in for free. I should know, but what does tigurium mean? Tigurium is a Latin word, and it's Latin for hovel or mean dwelling. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There is a bit of a story to that. Uh, When I first built my house, originally it was a little flat-roofed western red cedar cottage, and the guy who had the house next door, which was the uh, architect-designed brick veneer thing, um, thought thought it was sad that I built that little hovel because I was bringing down the land value. And as far as I'm concerned, my little cottage fitted into Mm -hmm. the environment better than his brick veneer suburban looking house. Uh, So I was obviously offended. Um, And I was actually going to get a piece of corrugated iron and some red paint and write the hovel on it and nail it to one of the half-dead gum trees out the front. And, With um, little dripping, yeah, red dripping bits. bits you know, I was going to do the whole thing, you know. Um, but my sister, who is far more subtle than I, said, "Why don't you find out what a hovel is in Latin? So you should work with Latin all the time and name the house that, and then it could be more of an insider joke." Um, and so, at that stage, you know, the internet wasn't a place you could go into to get an to awful find. lot of information. Yep. We're going back to the early eighties here, yep. um, and so I went and saw a local parish priest because you don't find hovel in a botanical. Latin dictionary. No. Uh, so I went and found the local pa- uh, parish priest to find out if he could find out in his Latin dictionary what a hovel was for me. And I thought, well, if it sounds all right, that's what the place is going to be called. And that's how it happened. So Tagurium. And uh, have you researched it since to be sure that oh, that's yeah, what I, it actually is? And in is? fact, now if you type Tagurium in, my garden will come up. <laughs> and after that, will come up, <laughs> will come up the, the Latin meaning. <laughs> You've gazumped the... Yeah, uh, yeah I have. I've gazumped it. Yeah, so, um, uh, so that's where the name comes from. And, and, it, and it makes me giggle. I think it's a great fun thing to do. And I can't see the point in naming a place something that doesn't have a connection somewhere mm. or another. Yeah. And so this, for me, had a story. It had a connection. It has a connection to me because it's Latin. Um, and so... It, it's all, it, it all seems right somehow. Does the guy next, did the, you tell the guy next door? No, he never knew. He, he doesn't <laughs> live there now anyway. Um, but he, he <clears> never <throat> knew what Tagurium was, as far as I know, unless he was smart enough to go and see if he could get it sort of translated. Uh, and I've only <clears throat> ever had, in all the years I've had the garden open, I've only ever had one person who actually knew what a Tagurium was. Right. And it was a lovely old Austrian lady that came in with a, a, a bus 
group one day uh, who'd obviously done you know Latin as a child or whatever and and, uh, and so she knew and she was horrified because she said it is a really demeaning name she said I could give you a, a, a Latin name for cute little nook or something that would be much better yeah yeah uh, but a hovel is a hovel yeah, she needed she, the story she yeah, yeah. And she said it was a really negative word mm. uh, and I said well that's exactly what that's I was the looking point. for yeah, that's that the point yeah that is the point yeah so that's where Tagurium came from excellent um, and yeah it's always a good story when you have bus groups and things through to take because everybody will want to know what the name of the uh, house came from but you know these people who name their place Rose Cottage and it's a brick veneer house you know and you know seven oaks and they've only got four um, <laughs> might have started with seven yeah well maybe yeah <laughs> you know but yeah you know, I think a name has to have a meaning oh absolutely you know, I yeah. think it's really important and of course nobody will ever be able to change the name of my house because it's bad luck you know to yeah. change the name okay. of the property uh, so it's going to be hovel for ever yeah, ever yeah. I, when I'm dead and somebody else is living in my home they'll still have to live in a hovel and, and, and the spelling I'm just uh, T-U-G-U R-I-U-M. Fantastic. All right, well, on to the last two community announcements quickly. Um, On Friday the 5th of June, uh, uh, Adriana from Human Seeds will share share some stories and tips about keeping our native fauna safe. Um, This is, sorry, this is at the Blackburn Lake Sanctuary. Um, So, yes, share some tips about keeping our native fauna safe, followed by a walk around the sanctuary to spot some of the creatures of the night. So that's Friday the 5th of June from 6 till 8 p.m. Hope there's some bats. I'm sure there would be. Um, And all activities commence at the Visitor Centre, which is next to Central Road Car Park. Um, For more information, 9262-6211. And um, on Sunday, the 21st of June, this looks very exciting and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be attending, um, there's an afternoon talk and book launch. So a local author, Carolyn Langdon, Fantastic. will talk about the world-renowned botanical artist Celia Rossa. Yep. Um, down at Cranbourne. Down at Cranbourne. Um, so Celia Rossa in the Field um, is the book, of course, and um, it's it's about – oh, sorry, actually, Celia Rossa in the Field is the talk, and it's about um, her book, Banksia Lady, Celia Rossa. And Celia Rossa was a botanical artist who travelled Australia <clears throat> Specifically, so she could um, find and identify each particular Banksia species yep. um, before she painted it. Yep. Yeah. So and that it even has one named after her. She does. Absolutely. Rosary, yeah. Which yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so that's Sunday, the twenty-first of June, at two o'clock um, at the Australian Garden Auditorium at the Royal Botanic Gardens, Cranbourne. Um, the friends of the Botanic Gardens uh, members. It's fifteen dollars, and non-members twenty dollars. So quite an event. Mm. Um, How is Celia going? Right. I haven't seen her yeah. for a while. No, she's going good. The, yeah. the, the, um, the, the studio down at Fish Creek's going gangbusters. Is it? Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's going really well. Yeah. And um, it's really int- The botanists have got into um, Dryandra, the genus, and they've called Dryandra equals Banksia. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're lumping it in, are they? Yeah, so all the Dryandra mm-hmm. So if it's uh, well, Dryandra for most, no, that's right. <laughs> she hasn't accepted it. No, and, and I don't blame her because uh, she did all the Banksias. Now all, suddenly every there's single, all these others. All these others. Yeah. No, she hasn't accepted it. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah. but there's a lot of that going on, isn't there? There's, oh, you know, there's a lot of lumping and splitting and goodness knows what going on out there at the moment. Callistamine, mm. yep. gone. Oh, yeah. yeah. To all Bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. 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 How are we going to get our heads around that? I mean, yeah. people still say azalea instead of rhododendron, and that was done 50 or 60 <laughs> years ago. So how are they ever going to get their head around, you know, the idea of callistamine going? It, yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, well, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop, and with me in the studio are Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants and John Arnott from the Royal Botanic Gardens, Cranbourne. It's time to open our line for callers, so if you have a question or fancy a quick chat about something that's going on in your garden, we'd love to hear from you. Our number in the studio is 94190155. There's nobody on the outside line today, so if you're a bit shy and need a question answered, today's the day to man up. <laughs> so that number again, 94190155. And I think we already have someone yes, on the line, do. Neville from Somerville. Good morning, Neville. Good morning. How are you all? Good. Good, thanks, Neville. Stephen, it's amazing. You must be part of the furniture there, <laughs> I'm well, sure. I've been doing this for, I think, about 20-odd years or more. Uh, yes, it would be. It yeah. would be nearly uh, that. In fact, stupidly, I never kept a record of when I started at 3CR. I so got I a have, log. I have no real sense of when I started. And, of course... Being volunteers, I don't think 3CR kept a record either, so I don't think anybody actually knows when I started doing this, but um, it's got to be at least 20 years, maybe yeah, 25. Yeah. Times mm. 10 shows a year, more. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, for a long probably time a long I did it year. once a month, uh, and for, well, the last 10 years at least I've been doing it twice a month. That's Good on 350, you. 400 shows. Yeah, it's quite a few. <laughs> Goodness me, I'm feeling really old Thanks now. Thank you for bringing it up, Neville. I rang up was, uh, you know, we've often spoken of uh, what is a plant and what is a weed. Uh, a plant is, a, uh, is something that we like and a weed is something we don't. And for years I've been, as I spoke to Jan, I think it was on the switch at the time, um, I have been spraying their millipedes. There's been thousands of them over the years. And I left a couple of cans out, uh, uh, dog food and cat food that I hadn't uh, completely cleaned out. Like this, you know. Yeah, a little bit of dog say, food left in, yeah. When I say cleaned out, I always wash them and put them in the recycle bin so that the people handling them don't have to sort of handle gunky things. Mm, fair enough. And uh, I left these two cans out accidentally and... Uh, the next morning, uh, they were cleaner than what I'd probably be able to wash them. Mm. And it was all thanks to the millipedes and two giant tiger slugs, as I call them. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, those slugs love dog food. I, I was absolutely amazed, but I do that every day now because, or every night, because um, they do such a damn good job and I've been killing them. Uh, Millipedes are more a nuisance when they get in the house and stuff than than any real problem in the garden. And they tend to come and go, don't they? I mean, one day they're there, the next they're gone. Just don't like ants, don't worry about them. Yeah, yeah, they're just part of the the garden form. Garden ecology. Yeah, Yeah. and so uh, I don't worry too much about them. All I have to say, our house is up on stumps and we don't get that many of them that get into the house. The house next door is on a slab and they're forever vacuuming up millipedes Millipedes. during the season in the house because they do smell a bit when you squish them. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, I've never, I've never squished them in the house, but yeah. uh, I was absolutely amazed at the job that they did 
in these cans. And uh, now, of course, I you could be encouraging more, Neville. You could be encouraging. You could be encouraging more. They'll invite all of their neighbours and family members in to help help you clean well, the cans. Well, as I spoke to the lass on the phone, I, I, the only thing that bothers me is waking up one morning and going out the front to find a. A tiger flag the size of a bus. Yeah, well, anything that would happen. be disconcerting. Yeah, it would be. I mean, they're big enough as it is. Uh, but I might add, they're also benign in the garden. I mean, the tiger slugs don't do any harm. No, no, they're wonderful. I, I think they're marvellous. I hate sort of killing them because they. Uh, well, they're, they're quite a kill. beautiful creature. Yeah, uh, and I don't know whether anybody ever saw that David Attenborough thing uh, where a pair of tiger slugs were making love. That was pretty <laughs> impressive. Yeah. Uh, hanging from threads from a tree Absolutely, and spiralling yes. around. Yep. Uh, they make our bumping and grinding look really <laughs> primitive. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's why I thought, well, I'll, I'll give you a buzz and sort of mention um, something also. People are throwing out rubbish. Uh, on the road, and I'm I'm absolutely disgusted how they they just dump. Uh, if they don't want it, so they dump it. And, yeah, and when they're driving along, <clears throat> their cars and their homes are immaculate, so they just throw it out on anything out onto the road. And um, I pulled up one day recently to find uh, someone had dumped a whole heap of epsilons. Really. And, um, Oh, uh, what's the cross um, um, orchid? Oh, yes, yeah. I can't think of the name of it. The crucifix orchid? Yeah. The crucifix, yeah. The crucifix orchid. And uh, so I spent a week replanting and repotting them. And I, I thought, now, here I am grizzling about people dumping <laughs> rubbish, but... Mm. If they want to dr- dump plants, that's all right. <laughs> oh, I, I, only, only just. Yeah, um, I mean, just. The, I, I wouldn't be too worried about the crucifix orchid becoming a pest, but those people who go out there and dump agapanthus and other kikuyu, yeah, uh, wandering k- Jew, all that stuff, yeah. you know, and they just dump it on the sides of the roads. Um, a lot of those plants would be fine if they just left them in their garden mm. instead of just sort of dumping them out into the wild because that's the way they do get away. But the well, wandering road. Jews, wandering Jews, terrible for the uh, dogs. Yeah, it's mm. it, it's it, it it's, uh, causes dermatitis. Real, real yeah. irritant yeah. causes dermatitis. Yeah, yeah. The um, and the, the, there's the f- a park in uh, Ivanhoe, I think it is, uh, on the river. Okay, yeah. And it's chockers yeah. with rotten wandering Jews. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's. Um, Insidious, isn't it, it? It's terrible. Some of them are beautiful, but kept in a pot. Yeah. Mm. And uh, but this this has got that green uh, wandering Jew, the original, mm. right through this park. And I think you know every time it floods, you it you're moving it more. to another yeah. place. Yeah. Awful. Stuff. But anyway, thank you. I just wanted to pass on. The millipedes and uh, there you go. So yeah, somebody who doesn't dislike millipedes. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the feeder road to or the, the the back road to the Royal Botanic Gardens, Cranbourne, used to be the road to the tip. Um, and and pe- people still think it is. People still think yeah. it is, and they come and tips closed. So you can imagine what that road looks like. It, uh, is that Bellato Road? Bellato Road, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's um the dumping that happens there. It's 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 dreadful. It's um just thoughtless and 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 plant material. Uh, yeah, I, I think most of the environmental weeds alongside Blato Road were the product of garden dumping. Mm, Good God. Sadly. Yeah. All right. Well, well th- thank you for that. Well, thank you, Neville, for your input. <laughs> no problem. Thanks, Bye for now.
Bye-bye. Another 25 years on that one, Stephen. <laughs> oh, God. I can see me sitting here behind the microphone. <laughs> when I was young. <laughs> You're doing that already. Yeah, I am doing that already, yeah. yeah. I just hope somebody will tap me on the shoulder when the time is, is here. I don't want to be an embarrassment to myself. Well, we're nowhere near that point, uh, I don't think. All right, well, thanks, Neville. It'll hold you up for your death anyway. Oh, good. <laughs> see you, mate. Bye-bye. Bye for now. All right, and um, we've got Beverly in Rosanna. Good morning, Beverly. Oh, good morning. Look, I'm just phoning you about um, my lilac trees. I've got two in the front of my garden. Mm-hmm. The garden faces south. Um, it's um, in an area that I once uh, had an agapanthus, which was removed. Now, look, one um, has got a few green leaves on it and looks okay. The, the other one, which is about five feet away from it, um, seems to have, well, it's not powdery milk mildew, but there's absolutely no horizontal growth. It's still vertical. This is the second year it's been there. Mm-hmm. And all the leaves have gone brown. And I did take them to my local nursery, and you can just sort of crush them. They look, you know, they're just dead leaves, really. Um, and there are a few shoots. They're not really health, the healthiest-looking shoots, mm-hmm. even though there's a bit of green. Um, I'm just wondering... Um, the nursery said to put some dolomite lime around it, which I've done and dug that in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there isn't any change yet, but I'm just wondering, should I take that tree out and, and remove it and try somewhere else? The, I, I the, wouldn't because uh, all you're going to do is redisturb it again, right. uh, which will set it back. Uh, and lilacs should be bare now. They should. They're deciduous. I'm, I'm wondering whether... Uh, I, I had a, I've got a notion that some lilacs were grafted onto... Um, Ligustrum. They are, and I think still are being and, grafted. And if, and if we're getting bolt upright growth from the base, it root might stock. be it might be the rootstock mm. coming yeah, through. Yeah, you need to check for rootstocks. Have you? Uh, do you know whether it's a grafted plant, um, Beverly? Oh gosh, I don't know. Well, if you go down towards the base of the plant, it will have a swelling there, uh, where you can see where the graft would would be. Right. Um, but certainly, if it was understock growing, that would be evergreen and it would be bolt upright. Bolt upright. But yes, well, this is pretty bolt upright. It just hasn't. The, is the foliage, is it the same shaped foliage? Because the lilac will have um, yeah, more sort of a heart shaped leaf almost. It'll be slightly different, won't it? Yeah. yeah. But look, lilac should be bare now. And if that lilac's only been in a year or so, uh, I wouldn't expect terribly much um, side growth anyway. Um, did it have much growth on it? Did it actually shoot at all during the, the summer? Um, only a little. Yeah, but it did shoot a bit, so it did actually extend in size a bit. Uh, look, I think you might just be being a bit impatient with it. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I would certainly check and make sure that it's not understock growing. That's one thing you have to do with right. these lilacs. Understock growing. Um, so check that first. If there's anything growing below the knobby bit, uh, and if it's a young lilac, so the knobby bit will still be quite obvious. Yeah. Right. Um, so they'll see shoots coming up underneath. Yeah. 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 And, and it has a smaller leaf, and it's, it's privet. It's what they graft lilacs onto, because right. privets and lilacs are quite closely related and they graft the lilacs onto privets to stop the lilacs from suckering, but unfortunately the privet will often send up shoots from yeah, below the graft. That's yeah, right. No, I must say, I haven't seen any of them. Yeah, so you need to check for that. But I think in the meantime, I'd just be patient with it. I have right. to say, um, I don't think lilacs are great value around suburban Melbourne anyway no, because... Yeah, they like, a, they like a real winter chin, chill. Chill, yeah. You know, so they grow really well in Poland. Uh, and places like that. Um, So, you know, I don't see... And I also see, even if they do flower well, I mean, they don't have a leaf that's particularly interesting. They don't get autumn colour. They're a twiggy shrub when they get going, and they're pretty for a fortnight. Yes, 
well, I think I got carried away when I lived in London and I used to stand yeah. at the bus stop where there were beautiful lilacs. Yeah. And again, London's a bit colder than Melbourne. <laughs> oh, that's right. So I think maybe I've got to be carried away. Yeah, look, uh, I always think of lilacs as one of those things I like all my friends to grow and then pick big bunches and give me bunches of it yeah. and I don't have one uh, because I just don't see them as a good space uh, user. Do you grow any of the species? Yeah, some of the species I do, I see them as different. Yeah. Uh, some of the species lilacs are charming shrubs. I've got the dwarf Korean lilacs, Syringa myri, which just makes a nice little shrub about a metre high, yeah. pert little round leaves, yeah. really pretty. And uh, scented? Yeah, not as heavily scented no. as the hybrid lilacs, but still a nice perfume. Yeah. And I've got uh, Syringa patula in the garden, which I think, again, is one of the Korean lilacs, and a semi-dwarf one with mauve flowers. Uh, the species ones can be quite pretty and dainty. Interesting, yeah. Um, and in fact, patula actually gets good autumn colour, so you get double value out okay. of that. But the normal French and English hybrid lilacs, I think they're fine in a large garden where you can utilise them to fill up beds and things, but in a smaller garden, I really wonder whether they're worth it. Hmm. So uh, perhaps give it another year or so, see how you feel about it then. But they're not fast-growing plants uh, in their first year or two. Um, and as I said, you'll have flowers on them for a week to a fortnight and then you'll have this rather dingy bush the rest of the year. All right, then. Thank you very much. So you, you may decide to remove them. <laughs> Bye, Beverly. Yes, the good old lilac. Lilacs. Yeah. They're, they're, they're pretty drought tolerant. Oh, look, yeah. they're a tough plant. There's yeah. nothing wrong with them that way, but yeah. they really do perform better in, in alkaline yeah. soils in really cold climates. Yeah. Um, and, and even then they get black spot on the foliage. And, Not without uh, their issues. No. no. I'm surprised to hear they're grafted onto privet. Yeah, that's what they <laughs> use. I, I would prefer, actually, if I was going to grow those lilacs, to have them on their own roots anyway and then yeah. just deal with the suckers. Deal with the suckers, yeah. Because the other issue you have with um, privet is that it does shorten the lifespan because the privet stems never grow as thickly as the lilac. Yeah, okay. So you get this big bulge at the base of the plants eventually yeah. and it starts cutting down the sap flow. Yeah, right. uh, and so they don't live as long mm-hmm. uh, as a grafted plant. Uh, and, look, I think the time is coming anywhere, anyway where things like that, I know certainly with the hawthorns, you're not meant to graft onto the old wild hedging hawthorns yeah. anymore. Okay. Yeah. So if you're going to grow the ornamental hawthorns you and you want to graft them, you've got to graft them onto something else. Okay. Something uh, non-weedy. Well, yeah, something that's yeah. non-weedy. So a lot of them are using Washington thorn instead as an okay. understock now. Okay. Uh, because although in theory the understock isn't a problem, but they so often do reshoot. Yeah. And if they reshoot, they can set seed and, and take over. I, I, yeah. Our family's had a long-term relationship with a Washington thorn. Yeah. Uh, that garden I was talking about in Frankston, uh, there was a little seedling of, of the Washington thorn in the, in the garden and we potted it up. And um, we've kind of bonsai'd it ever since. Uh, but it's been in the family for maybe 35 years in, in various containers. My mum's just moved into a retirement village down at Somerville and we've actually planted it. Oh, it's in, gone in, into, in, the ground, into the ground. It? Yeah. Um, uh, it'll probably be quite relieved. It, it, I would think so. <laughs> so it's a 40-year-old tree, which is maybe a metre and a half tall. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're amazingly tough old things, the Washington thorns. Beautiful autumn colour. Oh, it's a wonderful yeah. little tree. Yeah. Um, and I might add, although it does get lots of fruit on it, I've rarely seen seedlings come up. And I've noticed recently too, I don't think hawthorn, even in its weedy forms, is going to be as much of a problem now because the, the um, rosellas have worked it out, okay. and they actually crack the seed. Okay, and they go in for the they go in for the kill for the actual the, seed. For the actual seed, not they'll fruit. eat the berry, but yeah, they yeah. also crack the seed. There you go. So they're not going to be spreading it around as much as they were. Okay. A bit like Pinus 
radiata is going to be less of a problem now that the um, yellow-tailed blacks and sulfur crested oh, work them out. Yeah, every uh, autumn a lot fly. more yeah, really is going down the gullet of those birds than hitting the ground. I reckon or sometimes not reaching maturity. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, so when some of our native animals see those things as a food source, suddenly your whole perception of them can shift a little bit. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's, it's that's adaptation to. The Wilson Botanic Park in Berwick, not a stick of indigenous vegetation, hardly any native plants. Full Still of, plenty of full birds. Of yeah, yeah, look, yeah. Full they, they of wildlife. Full of wildlife. I mean, the nectar in a plant doesn't matter where the plant came from. If it's a nectar-feeding bird, Absolutely. it'll make use of it. How many of us have seen – well, actually, I was – looking in the nursery yesterday and I've got uh, that native thing that used to be Agapetes and is now Paphia. Oh, Paphia, yeah. yeah. Uh, and there was a little eastern spinebill going in and having a go at it. And as soon as it finished there, it went to my Arbutus. Yep, yep. And it was having a lovely time on the Arbutus flowers. Mm. Um, so they don't care where it comes from. I agree, but I still do wonder about the sort of interrelationships between the things that, that we don't really see, you know, the oh, insects yes. and, oh, you yes. know, the oh, yeah, no doubt. fungi and, and yeah, whatnot. No and doubt. Whether it's on natives or, yeah, for, exotic plants. For sure. Yep. But the Wilson Botanic Park, Park example is about, it's about diversity and structure. Like, yep. So it's a really quite a complex and, and and really, it, it, the, some areas of Wilson Park have been planted, but the rest of it's just been colonised by weedy species. So mm-hmm. it's literally um, full of environmental weeds. There's hectares and hectares of um, tree lucerne. Oh yes, and the tree lucerne is the is the is the flowering plant yep. which p- provides habitat for the eastern spinebills. Yeah, um, and you know, huge long flowering, repeat flowering. So a, a bit of a an issue if you were to go in and remove all that environmental weed you're, you're looking through a lens mm. and um i learned a really big lesson when i was at the geelong botanic gardens when i removed a collection of fuchsias mm. um came in thinking f- fuchsias weren't really well adapted to the environmental conditions that we could afford at at um at yeah. geelong and we struck a deal with the was it tindale or periandal yeah. no probably tindale mm. and the whole collection was um, uh, duplicated mm-hmm. and then sent up to Tyndale. Yeah. So we've where done, the environment where would the environment good for it. Yeah. Perfect, yeah. Mm. So that had happened. We secured the collection, so the collection was secured. We uh, had established a collection of salvia, and the salvia was going to displace the collection of fuchsias. So we dug all the fuchsias out on, on one morning, and I had one of the local field nets come up to me to come up to my office with this really worried look. look. And, you know, said, oh, I see you've removed the fuchsias. And I was thinking they were going to go, yes, good on you, good on well you, done. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, you do realise that they were the things that were supporting the, the garden's population of eastern spinebills. Oh. And I've gone, oh, oh my yeah, what have I done? <laughs> what have Although I the done? salvias surely Indeed. So we, in. so, yeah. we, so we planted the salvias and the salvias, like I, the following morning I've, I walked down there contemplating what we've just done ecologically. And I see the little eastern spinebill working the salvia flowers and felt relief. But that was... But that see, if you'd replace that with another genus, if you'd put chrysanthemums yeah, in yeah, or something, right. yeah, indeed. Um, then in fact you would have had an impact uh, that would have been in, very negative. In, indeed yeah. we would have. So, you know, we looked at that through a, through a particular lens and we didn't look at that at what services were those futures, what ecological services were those futures playing in the garden. Yeah. Yeah. They so are I learned a really big lesson yeah. That, yeah. that day when I had the, the, the tapped on the shoulder saying... I'm not so sure that was a great idea. And that was after your work at the zoo, John. That's that was after yeah. my work at the zoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, a lot of the work that we did at the zoo was to plant things that animals didn't interact with. Yeah, because you didn't yeah. want them to be pulled yeah. to bits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we worked out all these anti-animal plants. Yeah. I wasn't looking for. So you weren't with that part lens. of the group that was growing plants for animals to eat. You were more from for the ornamental side. We were of it. doing we were doing both. Yeah. Um, but the, the the big challenge was. 
uh, creating these environments but that were resilient to, to the activities of critters. Yeah. Mm. The, the gorilla rainforest story, it's still, I think it's the still most, the most significant horticultural thing that I've done. Um, and it lasted for about six or eight weeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's how long they left it there. They should have put it in the children's garden first, and if it survives <laughs> that, then it can go into the animals enclosure. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we planted out this exhibit, and it was 1,600 square metres, and, and it was completely thick. To walk from one side to the other, you literally had to do it with a hack through it. So it was, it was just a thicket of vegetation. The gorillas went from this environmentally barren concrete pit enclosure um, and walked out into this 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 elaborate, sophisticated, f- uh, complex jungle. Com- jungle. Beautiful. I bet they turned around to each other and say, "Oh, we've evolved." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was the, the most remarkable thing that they walked out and they were touching plants. Mm. They were walking on plants for the first time, and they were looking up, and there was this canopy over the top of them, which wasn't. They had just sky in the old pit enclosure, no canopy. And they just, for the first couple of days, just gingerly, very gently, gingerly walked, walking through the enclosure, just exploring each kind of nook and cranny. And then they realised that Hedicium tastes fantastic. (laughs) 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 So they just literally just went, and they were eating this Hedicium. They, 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 species by species, they ate the enclosure. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. It was brilliant. Uh, (laughs) It was brilliant. It was just such an extraordinary thing. So six or eight weeks later, um, but talk about enriching. Um, you know, it was an extraordinary experience. The the remarkable thing there was a, a couple of studies done. One was gorilla behaviour, and their behavioural repertoire just went off the scale. The second thing was perceptions, people's perceptions of the animals in the old pit enclosure. People were perceiving gorillas, and there was a sort of a checkbox with words for year eight kids. And there was a, a real emphasis on negative words. They were angry, stupid, aggressive, ugly animals in the old pit enclosure. Same five animals moved from the pit into the naturalistic enclosure. And all of a sudden, they mm. were beautiful, gentle, social, endangered. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so a they lot, had a completely it? different perception. Completely of, different, yeah. just how yeah. the animals were being framed in, in the enclosure in the zoo. Yeah. And, and maybe that, also how the animals were actually behaving. behaving. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah. yeah, incredible. So it was, and at that point we just thought this naturalistic enclosure thing is, we're, it's right on it. It's yeah. right on the money. Yeah. That's, Wonderful. That's and, and they've done so much work, of course, in, in that. Ever since. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Yeah. Well, we've still got some more calls, we so I do. suppose we best to get through yes, them. Yes, indeed. Oh, Pam in Kyneton. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everybody. Nice and chilly up in Kyneton this morning. We have got one hell of a good frost. Yeah, well, I'm hoping I didn't, but there you go. Fingers crossed. Well, it was very chilly when I left this morning, and it was very early and still dark. So it was a bit hard to tell, but Uh, uh, I'm hoping I didn't get a frost. Everything's um, turned its heels up this morning, and that'll be the finish of the roses. They'll be mush. Yep, well... And I certainly anyway. don't think if you've got any veggies that are summer veggies left in the veggie garden, they'll, they'll be do. there. Yeah, they'll be gone. I know, the tomatoes are done. Yeah. But everything else does all right. And mm. the garlic's up and, you know, it's horses for courses, isn't it? That's you've got right. to grow what you can. I was ringing this morning about something else that's happening in Kyneton on mm. the long weekend. Um, the Kyneton Poultry Club is going to have a, a seminar running on the Saturday. Mm-hmm. And then on the Sunday, we're going to have a poultry show Fantastic. Mm, so any people out there who are um, into their poultry and who would like to know a lot more about keeping poultry, if they want to, re- if they want to look up kindandpoultryclub.com mm-hmm. on the internet, they'll get all the details of the seminar, which is running all day on the Saturday at 
um, in the Kyneton Baptist Church Hall. And then on the Sunday, we'll have our poultry show at the showgrounds. Fantastic. Uh, so I guess you get in for chicken feed? <laughs> Sorry, I'm being rude, no. Pam. I said I assume you get in for chicken feed. Um, no, Stephen. <laughs> and I have to do some work before I even get there. Oh, and, and what's the entry fee, Pam? So the seminar runs all day and they've got four speakers mm-hmm. on... Um, relevant poultry topics which aren't in front of me at the moment it's um, all right john's got it up on his little computer here so mm. it's fifty dollars for the seminar and that's all saturday and you get morning and afternoon tea and lunch um I... and the poultry show i mean that's um you just sort of buy raffle tickets when you go into the poultry show if you know what i mean <laughs> Pam, I'm just having a look at the program here, and it's Professor Robert Van Bardenvelt who's talking about poultry, poultry nutrition and diet, poultry incubation, poultry health, health and poultry judging. So all things poultry. There's four different speakers, and they're all talking on those topics. And if anybody's into their poultry or wants to really know more, then it'll be a really good day. It's um, the first event of its type that's been held here in Victoria, so... Fantastic. You know, if you've um, got the... It's the only thing is it's the long weekend. Oh. So, I Pam, is this of, for people who, who want to have hens in the backyard or more for people who want to show their poultry? Um, well, it's a little bit of both, actually. Yep. Um, and they're all very... I mean, I've st- I joined the poultry club and it's an incredible what there is to learn, like anything, I guess, mm. um, about poultry. Um, so I guess if you've just got an edge towards it, I mean, it's all day and it's $50, so... It sounds like to... good value anyway. Uh, yeah, if you're into your poultry, yeah. for sure. You have to be um, fairly interested in your poultry to come to the seminar, but if you just want to have a look at a lot of different poultry breeds or even backyard people that are thinking about buying hens and don't know which variety to get or which way to go, I mean, all of the varieties of poultry will be there for you to see and often it's a good way to help you make up your mind what you'd like to have in the yeah, backyard. because that one's pretty. I'll have them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but they're not always the best type for eggs, are they? No, yeah, they're not right. always. <laughs> Which I'm finding out. How many anyway, people in your club, Pam? Pardon? How many people in the club? It's quite a big um, club, um, kind and, and district poultry club. It's had, um, I wouldn't know how many. Oh, there'd be, oh, in excess of 50. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, yeah, good. and it seems to keep rolling along. And I mean, when you live in a district like this, you need to support these well, sorts of do. things, don't you? Yeah. And you've been talking this morning. God, I had a couple of other things, questions I wanted to ask you about. <laughs> we have been but talking you this were morning. talking about um, the native birds and how they feed from um, the different, you know, they don't necessarily always go to native plants mm. for their yep. food That's right. or for their shelter. And they're. And the pet thing with me at the moment is they're cutting down all the willows in the river around here. Mm. And they're, mm. and when they do, they've just destroyed it. You know, Windmill Bridge out on Metcalf Road is just a wasteland yeah. now. It's, Look, it's very sad. Things, it? It, it is very tricky, yeah. those things. And um, 
Look, long term, one hopes that they will re-establish a nice environment there. But sometimes they go in and I think they do things a bit too quickly in a bit too large an area and they don't give... Well, it's a cost-effective, isn't it? Yeah, well, but, you know, at the end of the day, they they can. They can turn these places into wastelands that look dreadful for years. Uh, And, of course, the other issue, too, is they take a whole pile of willow down. They're allowing sun to get into the river, which didn't get in before, and they're changing the whole environment very quickly. And the animals can't adjust that fast. So no. the things that are living there will immediately have issues. So I, there are certainly some problems. I, and, and, look, I do have a soft spot for old willows, I have to say. I yeah. mean, they can be beautiful trees. And, oh, gorgeous and trees. in certain rivers, I don't see why they have to take them out everywhere. There are certain places where they could probably leave them quite safely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're not going to hop across all of the dry ground between here and the next river. Um, but they seem to be going for the whole lot. And I think that, mm. you know, that may be a, a bad thing to do. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, it is because there's nothing there now. I used to see the birds there, and I'm sure, you know, oh, I don't know. Pam, have they planted anything in? They have, but where, you know, they take the willows out because they say the willows restrict the flow of the water. But where have they done a lot of their plantings? Down in the river. Yeah, but they're, know, they're more they're likely trees that, right. that aren't going to be as Throws destructive as the willows. Mm. Except I can't see anything. And what's happened is because they've taken out the willows, now it's infested with these. It's absolutely infested with thistle. Mm. And the yeah, river there'll be a lot of weedy species moving. And all the grass in. is growing in it. Mm. So yeah. the river is just disappearing. It, those programs have to be managed, you know, well. Yeah, they oh, need some they sensitivity do. to yeah. them. Uh, and, and one does have to ask how the rivers manage in Europe that are covered in willow, that's exactly where it's native. Right. I mean, yeah. the, the, the rivers still flow, the things still happen. I wonder whether there's been a little bit of excitement thrown into this whole thing that is possibly not strictly right. Mm. It's um, awful. You know, so um, it's, you know, sort of like the ice epidemic. Everybody's saying it's getting worse and yet there's other people now suddenly coming out of the woodwork saying, well, in fact, the use of amphetamines is going down in Australia. Where Mm. is this pandemic happening? Mm. Um, I just think there needs to be, you know, uh, people need to take a step back, look at things carefully before they step in. I think they do. And the the other thing is the, the... Like, you could walk along the river in Kyneton and you could see all the... And I used to see kingfishers and all the cormorants would sit in them while they were fishing and and they're going to take them out behind my house, I know. And when they do, oh, dear God, the erosion on that bank is going to be terrible. But anyway, I've got to get off my hobby horse. <laughs> no, that's OK. There's other people wanting, I think, to, I think wanting the critical, to speak to you. Good, good on you, Pam. Good on you, I think the critical thing... Um, is to look after the areas that of native vegetation that are intact. Mm. Um, yes. You know, the areas that, that are disturbed. Like it's a it's a noble pursuit, I think, to look at, yes. at revegetating, um, and you know, putting in a, a, a structure of native plants again. Yes, and um, it needs to be structured and it needs to be managed, and not cut everything down and have massive bonfires and burn it all. Yes, yeah, scor- scorched earth really works. Yeah, Pam, have you done any research to see if if they they do really have a good plan in place? No, but yeah. I and because I interesting <laughs> because the whole thing has just left me so cold. But I will. I'm going to have to start and try and get involved in it. Yeah. But Make you a need few to be calls. proactive. Yeah. Um, you know, it's That's all very well exactly for us to right. complain. I am very active in things like that, but mm. you know. 
I believe you need to support your community. And, and they very done. well may have a, a really structured plan in place. Yep. But, I mean, maybe it's kind of not obvious at the moment because, yeah, I mean, oh, once, yes. once I a few willows are taken out. why they can't take out half the willows and then later on when they've got some structure going and some new plantings going, then take out the other half of it, the willows. It is about efficiency, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yes, it's easier yeah. to go in and do it all at once. I can exactly see. Exactly right. I can see their their thought processes. Yep. Anyhow, Pam, I guess you're okay. right. We better move on. Yeah. Yes, we have. And we'll catch and up with you soon. To the people coming behind. <laughs> all right, then. Thank you very much. Thanks. Right, bye. bye. I mean, that is a, a it's a really interesting issue. The um, sort of revegetation mm. and and getting into areas that are really weedy. And I think is it the Bradshaw sisters that um, have you know they initially um, came up with the idea of um, where you weed. You don't necessarily start where it's the worst, worst. infestation of yep, weeds. Yeah. You you pull back a bit and, and you try and encourage that native growth back in areas which aren't quite as I think that might infested. be Bradley. Bradley, Bradley sisters, Bradley. Yeah, yeah, Joan Bradley. Yeah. yeah, that's correct, yeah. And that's, yep. that's yeah, that's radiating out from the area. Look after the areas which are intact and well. Yeah. And slowly creep slowly into creep the areas rather than just going in with a big slash and burn. Yep. And, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's a tricky situation, isn't it? Because, of course, it's going to cost a lot more for councils to do that. Lots of inputs. But, and, you've yeah. got, and you've actually got to well, understand what you're doing, whereas you yeah. can let people loose with a chainsaw uh, and get things happening fast at a minimal cost. Yep. Um, but then you You've got the the problems that you create afterwards. Yeah, I think the beauty of the the Bradley system is that it, it's allowing ecological processes to That's happen. That's right. Yeah, you know, so there's so there's no planting, there's no revegetation mm. in the Bradley system. It's not a. It's very gentle. It's a very system, gentle system. It? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it does require um, the, the, the 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 there's a time lag uh, and there's skill. Yeah, you know, there's, yeah. there's monitoring and skill and. You know, identifying what's what's there. We're, we're dead right that there are things that non-native nectar sources that that provide sources for for birds, and I think that's right, and that's a really good mm-hmm. theme. It would, it, being from a native plant perspective, I have to say that um, uh, native plants. I, I, I would hate to think that we displace native plants with functional non-native plants. Mm. Um, you know, I think it's uh, it's uh, it's horses for courses a little bit. If we're talking about replacing, I mean, we could have replaced the fuchsias with cord, with corias yeah, yeah. In, a, in a garden situation. But uh, on landscape scales, I think native plants really come into their own. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in, absolutely. In, yeah. All right, All right. onward and hey. upward. Uh, and Ruth and in East Q. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. Uh, we have a – our neighbours are redesigning their garden and they've given us some plants. And one is the Grevillea Moonlight. Okay. It's about one, one and a half metres tall. Um, so, uh, just wondering, should it be pruned as we transplant it? Is it in a pot at the moment? Um, they dug it out and I've put it in a pot until we put it in the ground yet. Mm, tricky. Yeah. How long was it in the ground? Um, probably about two or three years. Mm. So I don't even know if, I don't know if they dug it out very well. Yeah. <laughs> It's one of those you, you can transplant native plants like grevilleas and banksias and those types of things, but mm-hmm. generally, generally, it's probable, it's possible, but not probable yeah. <laughs> that they'll survive a transplant. Yeah, I understand that difference. Yeah, um, but I certainly would be reducing a, a little bit of the canopy. Not, I, I wouldn't be cutting it back to to it, it. It needs foliage on it to actually stimulate root activity. Um, so I'd be maintaining, you know, a, a fair, maybe take about a third of it away and. Mm-hmm. 
leaf two thirds to photosynthesize. John, what are you? What are your attitudes though? To so native plants that don't transplant well. Aren't you sometimes better just to buy a fresh young one than, Possibly. than yeah. oh, well, even if it survives, it may take a year, two years to even start functioning again as a, as a shrub. Yep. Yeah, but if you're getting a getting given a shrub, yeah. I always think give it a go. Give it a go. Well, you, always give it a go. Give it a go. Well, you can, yeah. but you know, I'm I'm also one of those that believes that you know you can't buy time Don't in waste a garden. Of time. Yeah, no. and and if you are in fact going to spend two years trying to bring this plant back, and even then have no guarantee it's ever going to be a vigorous yeah. plant again. Yeah. Well, it's going to be going down to another location, not going in our garden because mm. we have. In fact, they bought they bought the. Because we have one in our garden that they can see from their kitchen window. Oh, nice. We love nice. flowers. Um, we just sit and watch the birds. Mm. Um, yeah, good. So um, it, it's not that it's going to be precious to be in our garden. Mm. It's the- just we thought, well, if we can save it. Yeah, well, yeah, look, if you're going to take that attitude, give it a crack. But yep. be aware that a lot of our native shrubs don't transplant well. And. And sometimes the worst of all possible things happens is that they don't die promptly and they just sit there for ages looking miserable, Um, uh, which for me is a complete sort of poke in the eye. I'd I'd much rather have a plant die promptly and at least get over that whole thing and then start to move on in another direction than to have something sulking there for about two or three years and not making up its mind. Ruth, it's about roots. Transplanting anything is is about generating active roots again. Um, and with the we've we've noticed that that, that can be the trick. But I, I'd try something like a, li- a liquid sea salt yep. uh, or liquid um, seaweed, yeah. seaweed, yep. um, just and, and actually soak it in there before you pop it in the ground. That's like, right. Let it let it sit there for an hour or so at least, um, because that really will stimulate the new that, root growth. Why ex- not? Exactly. Yeah. And and maybe a program of every three weeks or something like that. Get a watering can and just put a little bit more of that material around it. That would help. That's going to be difficult. It's going down to a place where there aren't people on a regular basis. But well, water it in with water it in with the the liquid seaweed and um, a bit of organic mulch on the yeah. top. And, f- and before you put it in the hole, fill the hole up with water with a bit of seaweed solution in it, um, and that you know creates a really good environment for it. Yep. Okay. Okay. We'll do. Good, luck. good luck. Just go. Thank you very much. And I realise it's a possibility. Just going back to the lilacs, when I grew up, we had a whole row of lilac bushes along our back fence. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm not native-born Australian. I would have guessed yeah. that. Yeah. And <laughs> they went from the very white to the very deep purple. So oh, nice. They, we had lilacs over quite a long span because they all flowered at different times. Yeah. Oh, look, and That's a good strategy. If, you, if you've got the space to do that, but I still maintain the individuals will only flower for a fairly short time. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's a wonderful hidey yeah. hole for kids to play in. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic, just like creating a shrub area in your backyard. It's a great hidey hole place for kids to play in. Yeah, probably a little softer than Grevillea is for yeah, kids to play absolutely. in. Yeah, a little bit softer. Yeah. Uh, a little dear. bit nicer on the skin. Yes, yeah. exactly. All right, well, thank you, Ruth. That was okay. really interesting, and good luck with the Grevillea. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. I have to say that I um, about a year or so ago I replanted two, uh, which were Callistemon cyberi, mm. yep. um, the river bottle brush, yep. um, which are now, I suppose, Melaleuca, aren't they? Uh, Callistemon works. works. Yeah. Can I tell you something? Did you know, well, you probably knew John, uh, even though they're not Australian native plants, Hebe has gone back to Veronica. Yeah. And so that whole group yeah. of woody shrubs yeah. from New Zealand, that whole iconic genus, yeah. 
is it's at, no longer Hebe. It's no longer Hebe. And I was talking to somebody in the Auckland Botanic Gardens last November when I was leading a tour over there, and she said, I can accept it in theory. <laughs> uh, but in practice, I'm not sure how well this is going to work. No. Uh, Hebe's are just yeah. – like New Zealand plants have to be called Hebe's. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Callistamines have to be called bottle brushes. Yeah. Bottle, yeah, yeah. Callistamines. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, gonna, it's, it's really causing it's all sorts of grief, I think, for people. And, of course, the nursery trade will take forever yeah. to catch up anyway. Yeah, they've all got labels sitting there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they've yeah, got to use yeah, up their yeah, labels. Yeah, that's right. And they don't like to confuse their customers, which I can see that as, as, as a wholly good thing to do if you can, because if they suddenly start selling something that they were selling for years under a new name, then people are going to assume it's a new plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to confuse lots yeah. of people. So I can oh. sort of see the nursery industry going, oh, this is, you know, this is too much. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, too, of course, if you don't move over to the new names, well, then you'll find that there's somebody growing them under two different two names. Different names. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that can confuse just as badly. Mm. Both names are right, though. Mm. I mean, our great friend Roger Elliott is of, of, of the view that if you're using a, a, an old synonym, um, that that's still, it's still legitimate, it's still mm-hmm. okay. Well, so it's, he it's would not, sh- say well, after writing that huge, <laughs> list, that huge tome on Australian <laughs> native plants <laughs> that suddenly becomes obsolete. <laughs> uh, I can see where he's coming from. I can too. Yeah, but, but look, it is, it's a nightmare. And how you keep up, I have no idea. Uh, I try my best. I, I, you know, I keep my ear to the ground and, and try and keep up with changes of names. There really should be a website just dedicated to name changes, yeah. shouldn't there? You know, well, you sort of is. Yeah. The if world. you go to um, uh, Plant Stuff. List, uh, which is run by Q Botanic Garden, Gardens, they will give you the name and they will give you a rating of stars as to how they see that name as standing. Okay. Uh, and it will give you synonyms. Um, and I use the plant list quite regularly. If I'm doing a blog on my website and I'm not sure that a plant is still, still curry, currently under that name, yeah. I do a quick search in there. Now, I mean, they will be behind the times with certain groups of plants and quite probably the antipodes don't come into it quite as quickly because it's in queue. Mm. But nonetheless, it is at least a start. Mm. And it often throws up names that I wasn't expecting to find. Paffia. Yeah, Paffia is one of them. Uh, Another one was I was going to uh, do a little blog on a on a little snowdrop, uh, not snowdrop, a little bluebell uh, from the Turkey area that I've been growing for years as Skilla Grail Huberi, and I thought, all right, well, I'll do a blog on that. Oh, I better do a bit of checking up on where it comes from and all that sort of stuff. So I went into the plant list. Boing, up comes a name that I'd never heard of before in my life. And apparently a series of skillers with reflexed petals have been put into a genus called Fessia. Fessia. F-E-S-I-A. And so my skiller grail huberi was suddenly fessia grail huberi. And I had no idea until I just did that quick bit of Googling and then suddenly this new name came up and it's been accepted. Uh, And so that is now the name for that group. So what I do is on my big labels in the nursery, I write fessia grail huberi, synonym skiller, just so that people can still find it and what have you. Because skiller would mean something to me, but fessia would yeah. not. But see, I guess it's in another 20 years' time, yeah. somebody will yeah. say, oh, fessia, yeah. I can't yeah. believe yeah. that that's was right. in skiller. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, it's, true. it's just a timing thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's for us because we're, you know, I still can't get my head around paffia, I have to say, uh, because, you know, I always saw the Agapetes as a fairly sort of Good group. Well, and I'm old enough to be able to go back one oh, more. Oh, yeah, to Pentapterygium. Yeah, you know, so, yeah, so <laughs> often you have to follow a trail of names for, I don't know, how, for how far back? Mm. Um, and sometimes they go back again, which annoys no end. Yeah, so now does that mean there's no Callistamines anymore? That's right. 
That's my understanding. That's kind of really depressing. It (laughs) (laughs) It's a whole genius gone. I'm just glad they didn't name it after me. Um, That that would be seriously depressing if you had a genus of plants named after you and then they went, poop, it's not that anymore. Well, I'm I'm reflecting on the old Sturt Desipi because Sturt Desipi went from Clianthus to Wildamperia. Oh, I didn't hear that. To Swainsona. uh, they might have gone back to Cloanthus, but it, I think it had f- f- at least three, but I think four name changes in the in the course of oh, less than ten years. Yeah, yeah but Will Dampiria was Will, at one point Will Dampiria. Oh, yeah. well, hopefully with genetic testing, you know, all of this will settle down over the next well, 20, that's the problem we've got at the something. moment, though. Yeah. You're right, yeah. AB. It's all about the fact that we can check chromosomes and genes and all these things which we couldn't do before. Yeah. Yeah. And so suddenly we're finding out relationships aren't quite what we thought they were. Mm. And so plants that we thought were closely related aren't, and other plants we thought were distantly related aren't. Mm. Um, and yeah, so it just becomes something of a nightmare. And yeah. uh, I could strangle my old nomenclature teacher from, <laughs> from college um, now, remembering him saying, You need to learn the Latin name because it gives stability. Yeah. <laughs> and at the moment, it certainly doesn't. Oh, yeah. Let's just all go to common names. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that's in its own way really difficult. Yeah. All right. Well, here we have uh, John um, from Friends of Melton Gardens. Good morning, John. Oh, hello, everyone. Um, I'd just like to mention that during Reconciliation Week, which starts, um, I think, on Wednesday, we have a guided walking tour of the Melton Botanic Garden to see our Indigenous plants. Uh, and that's on Friday, the 29th of May, starting at 10 o'clock. Um, half the garden, eventually, when it's uh, finished, will have Indigenous vegetation of the Melton area and Western Plains. Fantastic. Fantastic. So the guided walk is being led by the Friends Group? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, I think just about everything was done by the Friends Group. <laughs> and it's down in your garden. Yeah. Well, and we, but we have great cooperation and build some great partnerships. So um, like every other year, lots of things will be happening this year. We've got a, a big day coming up with Scouts on National Tree Day to <laughs> do another Indigenous section with them as their project. And we've... Uh, managed to seek some donations towards that, and um, and that's been great. Um, but this this one last year, we had a really good turn up for um, the Reconciliation Week walk, and we have another one uh, in NADOC Week as well, which focuses on um, the Ryan's Creek, the remnant vegetation, the indigenous plantings we've done at the lake, uh, the Koori Student Garden, and that's one that was designed by local Aboriginal students and planted by them, and that's going for um, a Sustainable Cities Keep Australia Beautiful Award. Um, it's a finalist um, um, being judged or being um, announced next month. Fantastic. And um, in the last year, we've planted the Victorian Volcanic Plains Garden, and every plant in that garden has to have a known Aboriginal use. Fabulous. Fantastic. Yeah. John, I... I I regularly get your newsletter and, and thoroughly enjoy reading it. You've you've received a number of awards recently, certainly one in recent times. Oh, yes, we won a, um, a Melton Business Excellence Award as the best community uh, enterprise business. And, and that recognises how well the Friends have run and the great team that we have and um, how we've managed the um, whole endeavour to be building Botanic Garden. Yeah. That's fantastic. How's that eucalyptus arboretum going? Oh, it's fantastic. I was looking last week. I, I've been working in the South, South African garden that we've just started, and I decided to stop and look at uh, West Australian beds we're doing and the little um, uh, wildflowers are coming up that we um, put the seeds in about three or four weeks ago. And right alongside in the eucalyptus arboretum, there was eucalyptus tall wood 
flowering, and that looked absolutely spectacular. So I posted a few of those photos on the web. And uh, there was one next door, which I don't know, but it was absolutely brilliant. But the, the one thing about the eucalyptus arboretum, and we always have something in flower, yeah. but you've got the gum nuts, you've got the texture of the leaves, mm. you've got the bark, you've, we've got lots of things with mm. bright red stems and all sorts of colours and, and things you can see in any eucalypt at any time. And mm. with such a huge group, um, you've really narrowed it down to a particular um, uh, brief, the eucalyptus arboretum. John, could you just yeah, explain so what the focus is? Um, we, we've chosen a dryland theme for the eucalyptus arboretum, which means that the eucalypts we've selected in their natural habitat come from 450 millimetres or less of rainfall, which is 450 is our long-term average. Mm-hmm. In fact, we, we, we got three millimetres the other day, which was really good for us. <laughs> and, and I added it to, um, uh, to the total, and we, we've managed to get up to 148 millimetres this year. So mm-hmm. far, we had three millimetres for the whole of, um, the whole of March. Goodness. And, and how many like... trees fall into that currently, John? Uh, I think we have around about, uh, we keep planting more and some some do die. So we're of the order of about 95 or 96 uh, species with about 600 trees. But the one thing, we call it a eucalyptus arboretum, but it is probably more a eucalyptus garden Mm. in terms of we've got... um, uh, Aromophilas, we've got Swainsonas, uh, Grevilleas, and lots of things underneath all of the eucalypts. Yeah. So it, it looks really terrific. And the good thing now is that you can get really close up to some of these eucalypts. They're not going to be, they're going to be a little bit taller one day, but right now you can be there touching them, feeling them, and getting really close. And the nice thing about a number of those dryland eucalypts, the, particularly the things that come from Mallee environments, is that the trees ultimately aren't going to be giant forest trees. Um, no, you know, some of these, right. yep. some of these mallee trees are, are, you know, struggle to make five meters. Yes, and the good thing Shrub about that the is delusions we... of grandeur. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we're trying to encourage people to think about planting eucalypts in their garden, especially as we've now got small suburban gardens, and even including eucalypts in pots, which. Mm. They are difficult to get the flowering pots, but we've got things like eucalyptus sinandra that's absolutely beautiful. Gorgeous. We have the classic sort of pink form and a white form as well. Well, John, you would probably know Elspeth Jacobs. Yeah. She, she's yeah, yeah. a huge proponent for um, for small eucalypts for, for suburban gardens. Yep. And, you know, having come from Perth and um, been really attached to all the mallies over there, then yeah. when she came over here, she um, pretty much brought them all with her, I think. She's oh, one of my heroes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we grew many of our eucalypts from seeds. So we, we bought packets of seeds. And one of the, the great stories we have is, um, an old lady in APS, and she's now well into her 90s, back in 2010, gave us a $100 donation. She said, I, I can't come and work in the garden, but here's $100. How about that? And from that $100, we bought 65 packets of seeds. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> that's that wonderful. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. But I, I did want to ask um, probably Stephen a question about frost protection because we, <laughs> we have just planted this Southern African yeah. uh, trial beds. And a few of these um, plants we've got need some protection, certainly in their um, in their first winter. Yeah. And b- the local bunning store has been really kind to us. They've given us a whole lot of rolls of frost protection cloth. Oh, yes, the, yeah, the frost cloth, yeah. Yeah, so we were just thinking of wrapping that around them because I can't sort of run out there and protect all the trees um, when I think there's a frost and whether the, the protection to leave it over the top of the trees. It might look a bit ugly in there. What have you got in there, John? 
Oh, we've got um, tw- we've planned to get 29 species, and we've planted 27 of them so far. That's good. But um, we've got things like the Natal plum, okay. uh, Carissa macrocarpa, mm, yep. uh, Leonotus uh, leonorus, I think the dagger dagger, or whatever if you want to pronounce it. Yep. Uh, we've got a few uh, proteas. Um, and um, there's plumbago and stuff to buy, mm. but the ones that are of concern are we've got about one metre tall uh, Erythrina catheras. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they will get knocked when they're young. Yeah. Um, but once they get older, they'll be fine. They'll, they'll yeah. cope with it very well. Um, the issue I've got with the frost cloths and things, but uh, I don't believe you should leave them on too long. Um, and also, in an open, windy site, they can actually do more damage by being pulled about by the wind uh, okay. and ripping the plants to pieces than actually the frost is going to do. Um, so unless you can actually keep them off the plants with stakes and, and sort of make tents out of the stuff so that it's yeah. actually up and off the plants uh, so that you can allow for some ventilation around the plants as well. I wouldn't just wrap the plants in it. Okay, that's right. That's good advice. Uh, initially, I was told to do that, and someone else um, suggested we use stakes. And um, yeah, look, I, I think if you could make sort of little frost cloth tents over them, would be safer. Be better. Uh, and and of course, then tie the frost cloth in nice and tightly so that it can't get sort of pulled off by the wind unless we get a hurricane oh, through. Yeah, and well, that'll well, take we the also plants got a anyway. Couple of rolls of um, tie material as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, that's how I would try and deal with it, and it would be mainly the erythronas I'd be worried about at this stage. Yep. Um, most of the other things you've got there, although they might get knocked by the frost a bit, they'll come back again. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so. and, and, John, of course, also using um, seaweed solution, that, mm. that will, you know, oh, yeah. if, a foliar spray, that will offer some, some degree of protection. Is that right? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Just okay. it, it, it um, hardens the cell walls a bit. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Are you planting aloes and, you know, those types of really... We, we got one aloe in there at the moment mm. and that's um ooh, which one aloe dichotoma okay and okay. we've got our so we've got aloe tenuar as well i think that requires a little bit of frost protection yeah but we just um got cuttings of that and put them straight in the ground and we did that at the start of april and they're starting to flower some of them so yeah. look, well you know, winter flowering aloes yeah. wow <laughs> yeah, we've got a, a wonderful row of um Dias uh, contifolia. Contifolia, yeah. Uh, that's the pom-pom tree. That's a lovely that, tree. That's got a lot. And there's 11 of those running along an 80-metre stretch of concrete path just beside it. It's a good little tree, that. I don't know why more people don't use it, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a hardy little tree. Flowers in summer when you need something in bloom. Reasonably long flowering. Reasonably long flowering. And, and it's not too big. It's just about the no. right size for a suburban garden. Yeah. yeah. And it's amazing because we, we know most of the garden at the moment is Australian. And this is our first exotic area, except for the Century Garden. Yeah. Um, we're getting a lot of interest from the public just seeing these new trial beds go in, which have got 10% through 50% compost mixed in with melting soil. Okay, that's good. And that's an 80-metre stretch of beds that are 8 metres by 12 metres. And we've just received the plant list from Marcus Ryan, who's been designing the other section, which is close to half a hectare, okay. of the list of Southern African plants for that, and that's quite really extensive, and there's a lot of aloes and proteas. And do you have um, uh, caladendrons and cassonias and such things on the list, uh, John? There's a few cassonias in there, yes. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I didn't notice that. I only just got it uh, two days ago, so it's really exciting. Yeah, mm. uh, is a remarkable plant. So yeah. I think they'd be, and they'd do okay yeah. in Melton, I would think. Yeah, yeah sure. well, we were, we were lucky that um, we got a Cassonia given to us from Phil at Geelong Botanic Gardens. He gave us a whole lot of seedlings in a, a pot, and we've potted those up, and Fantastic. they've grown, and they're. They're doing really well at the moment. That's uh, Cassonia natalensis. Natalensis, yeah, that's a yeah. well, that's a rare one. That's well, rare in cultivation anyway. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. It looks yes, so look good, after it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Frost, frost protection on that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, good luck with it, John. Right, it's, thank you, you very much. You, and I hope you have a really good reconciliation walk. All right. Thank you. Thanks, okay. John. All right, bye. Uh, and uh, Jim in Brighton. Thanks for hanging on, Jim. That's okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I just want to say thank you to Stephen. A few months ago, you're talking about a rose called Firefighter. Mm-hmm. We bought one. It's a good one. So you're happy with it? <laughs> I am. Good. Yeah, I'm always a little nervous about some of the new release roses because uh, when they come out, you sort of think, all right, well, there's all this wham, bam thing going on, and, and especially if they're going to be a promotional rose for some sort of charitable thing. Yep. Um, you always get a little nervous as to whether it's really going to be a goer okay. or not. And, I mean, you know, you've only got to talk to the sergeants about all of the different releases that come out every year. And I think, I think Graham said there were 60 rose releases last mm. year or mm. something along that line. And uh, all 60 aren't going to be good. No, look, some of them yeah. are going to fall by the wayside yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yes, so hopefully Firefight is going to be one of those that really holds its place. We've just got an image of it up here. It's a gorgeous-looking rose. Yeah, it's a very, very classic rose. Red. Yeah, and it's yeah. a good – well, it's an appropriately coloured rose. Yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Um, so that's good. I'm glad to say, uh, glad to hear that you, you're happy with it. Yeah, we've got it in a pot at the moment just outside the back door. So every time we walk out the back door, we've been over and have a smell of it. That's just a good, good thing to do. Oh, smelly uh, rose too. Lovely. Well, the, the, look, the fragrance says... As long says, as it doesn't smell like a firefighter, <laughs> I'd be quite happy. <laughs> the, the, the fragrance uh, in this reference says intense old rose uh, fragrance. Lovely. Old rose. Yeah, which is something that they're trying to reintroduce into roses. I mean, people got so carried away with the shape, form and colour that they forgot about perfume. How did that happen? Yeah, I don't know how that happens. <laughs> with a group of plants like roses where one of the iconic things about a rose is the smell. The perfume. Yeah, you know, so... You breathe it out? Yeah, why would they have done that? But, you know, I mean... I, Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to, to a breeding program. I mean, dahlias have been bred to such an extent now that some of them are only any good as a show bench plant, mm, and that's what they, they were bred for. Because they can't so, stand up on Yeah, the, they won't stand up in the garden. They flop over. Yeah. The heads drop out of them. Um, their colours are uh, muddled, and yet dahlias, one of the best things dahlias could do is have strong Pure primary colours. Mm. And so they've bred all these bicolours, tricolour things, Ooh. which which might stand up on the show bench quite well, but they're not good garden plants. Mm. You know, where did that, where did they go wrong? You know, and, and the show bench, if you breed one for the show bench, you can sell 10 plants. If you breed one for the garden, you can sell thousands. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah. so the, the, they're not thinking in the right no. directions, I think, in a lot of these groups of plants. Uh, I mean, the dwarfism thing that's going on at the moment, you know, mm. everything's got to have a miniature version. Mm. Now, in some cases, some of those miniature versions turn out to be quite nice plants Things, in their own yeah, right yeah. but why do you want an african marigold that only grows to <laughs> 10 inches tall i mean for goodness sake no garden is so small that you can only put in a 10 inch no. african marigold no. i mean it makes no logical sense Doesn't. you know and i remember talking actually to mr hammett the dahlia breeder and he bred a whole race of dwarf dahlias which didn't work because they were about three centimeters too tall because they right. wouldn't fit in those trays in the trucks. Oh. And that's what it came down to. Not as a good garden plant. No, it was a great Nothing plan. to do with a good garden yeah. plant. It was about being able to transport them. 
And I mean, you know, oh, when people start talking about plants as product, I start getting worried, mm-hmm. you know, because they've lost the point of what growing plants is all about. Indeed. It's, they might as well be selling soap flakes. Yep when it gets to that. So I hate yep. this product thing that goes on. Yeah, it's not and, right. you know, a good plant is a good plant. And, yeah. you know, we, and, and a small garden doesn't have to have everything dwarf. No. In fact, no. wouldn't you rather have one big, gutsy, interesting plant than a whole pile of little nothings? Yep, yep. And that's the way I look at it. Yeah, so yeah, I um, don't know. I'm with you, Steve. Now, um, oh, we've got an, another caller, uh, Jill from the Herb Society. Uh, good morning, Jill. Hello, Jill. Jill. What are you lot up to? Hi. Oh, I've, been, I've dug out a whole bed and uh, took all the old soil up to the back with the compost, and now I'm putting in memorial roses. So there we go. Okay. Um, I've got quite a lot of aloe barbadiensis, mm-hmm. and I'm willing to give them to the garden at, at Melton if they would like them. Yeah. I've got, you know, I've, I've got some that have grown quite large and others I can, you know, seek out the pups and whatever. Yeah, well, the probably the best way to do that would be to go Just onto the jump web, online, yeah. jump online, find the Melton Botanic Gardens Friends website, which yep. I'm sure shouldn't be too hard to do. No, it's a good yeah. sign. And there'll be a contact me thing mm. on it there somewhere, Jill. And yeah. I reckon if you give them the offer, I mean, I know they have got a specific plant list, mm. so that particular aloe may or may not be in their plant list, but they, they may well be able to utilise it. I know they have their little nursery where they yeah, grow they things to sell. Indeed. Uh, yeah. So the aloe yeah. could end up in there. Well, uh, they're, not, they're nice in the hot sun. They yeah. get, mm. they get, and mature, they get the very big orange flowers. Oh, yeah, Fabulous. Good things, yeah. So that's how I would deal with it. I don't have John's details here in front of me, but I'm sure you can get into the website, send them a, an email and, and make the offer. I mean, they're a, a good active group. Um, I mean, there's some of the members that will probably come out and help you dig the damn things out. So. Oh, well, they don't, they don't need to do that because I'm very good at doing that. I've just dug out sort of um, eight or ten bags of uh, 22 litres of um, soil myself yesterday. So. Well done. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> now, those herbs are doing you no end of good, Jill. <laughs> well, how how yes, many litres did you right. say? Dig, 20, digging is good for one. 22 metres. Yeah. Good effort. And no, 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 not twenty-two liters. Ten, but yeah, two hundred and twenty liters. Yeah. <laughs> liters. Um, I've given my, my mobile number to the desk. To, right. to, um, well, if John's still listening in, he might actually call back and get that. Yeah. But otherwise, you could go onto the website. I'm sure I'll go onto the website to yeah. today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fabulous. Good Thank on you, Jill. Stephen. Thank Thanks, you, Jill. Bye. 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 Yeah, so, yeah, Jill's another one of our regulars she coming is, in yes. with all of the different herb society things yeah. that are going on, another good active society. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, which is good to see because a lot of the specialist societies are struggling, I've noticed. Mm. Um, struggling to get new members? Yeah, to, and yeah. To, well, you know, most people these days are time poor, so mm. it's harder and harder for them to join organisations. And specific organisations that have a very narrow focus, I think, are struggling a wee bit in lots of places. I know the Rhododendron Society struggles, um, uh, you know, quite a lot of those sort of specialist groups. Mm. The Fern Society recently closed down. Oh, true. Yeah, after right. 27 years, I think I it was. Uh, Fern Society of Victoria. I remember going to some meetings of that many, many years ago when one of my apprentices was a, a very keen fern collector. Yeah. Uh, and he he dragged me along to a couple of Fern Society meetings. And there was probably 30 or 50 people there. Oh, easily. Yeah. Probably more. Yeah. And it was a very active and vibrant society. And now it's closed. It's gone. Mm. Uh, so it is. It's sad. And uh, so it's good to hear of societies that are still... 
plugging along well. Yeah, maybe it's time for some societies to diversify a little bit in some way or another. Or amalgamate. Or amalgamate, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah there yeah. might be ways and means of doing it. Some, some actually went in the opposite direction and split. There was the Lilium Society split into two. Oh, really? Yeah, and I don't know how both groups are going now, but I remember hearing about the whole thing, and it was um, species and hybrids. Yep. So all there we right. go. Well, Time's it's up. time for us all to face the world once again. Yes. Thank you to Jan for womaning the phones. Thank you to Pete for operating the computer. Okay. Thanks to Stephen and John for sharing your fantastic knowledge. And thank you to you, the listeners, for tuning into the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop, and until next week, may all your dawns be golden. <laughs> You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.